I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away, it's a damn shame. Just miners on an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street Ain't got nothing to eat And the whole beast milking welfare Well, God, if you're five foot three And you're 300 pounds Taxes ought not to pay For your bags of fudge rounds Young men are putting themselves Six feet in the ground Cause all this damn country does Is keep on kicking them down Lord, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. All it is, living in the new world with an old soul. These rich men know the rich men. Your dollar ain't shit, and it's taxed to no end. Cause the rich men, North the rich men. I've been selling my soul, working all day. Overtime hours for bullshit pay. to tell our elected officials that we want our national policy based on what we know in our hearts is morally right. I don't know. I'm having microphone issues here. I don't know. It's crazy. Welcome back, folks. How the hell are you? Uh, welcome back to yet another round of Righteous Rhetoric. 
rendered by your perpetually pissed off paragon of patriotism. This episode's gonna be short, folks, and it's gonna have to hold you over until October, because as you know, I have a full-time job. And that job's gonna have me in the great state of Texas for about a month, Uh, but don't worry, dry your eyes. When I get back, I'll be back. So in the meantime, uh, welcome to this episode of The Last Stand Podcast. We're going to hit on a few things here in this latest and greatest of episodes. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world and here at home. You know, just when I think that things can't get any more ridiculous, uh, this government says, hold my beer. You know, Uh, it's a crazy time that we're living in, folks. But as always, no matter how bad it gets, there's always hope. There's always a glimmer of hope for the greatest country this world has ever known. As always, the fight continues here at the Carolina Command Center with your less than humble host, Wild Bill of the Wild Bill fame. Excellent! We're going to talk about a few things here right down on the ground, right here in the good old USA. So buckle up and hold on to your butts, folks. (laughs) Let's get into it, right? I don't know. This microphone's giving me the heebie-jeebies here. Uh, folks, if you hear a difference in, in, in the mic here, uh, my apologies. This is... Uh, <laughs> it sounds different for some... I don't know. For some reason, it sounds different. If you notice a difference, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to have to get to the bottom of this. I, I think it's going to come out okay. Um, I'm going to fool around with this thing here. Uh, throughout the episode, so buckle up, all right? Um, But anyway, uh, welcome to the episode, folks. Welcome to it. Uh, As you noticed, Oliver Anthony uh, and his song, uh, Rich Men North of Richmond. Um, It's kind of a tongue twister if you're not prepared for it. Uh, That song, uh, even more than, I'd say it's a, a bigger success than even Jason Aldean's song try this in a small town uh you know we thought we thought that that song you know kind of spoke to us but i'm going to tell you this oliver anthony um whose name is um chris lunsford uh from virginia uh it i'm going to tell you something it speaks to me and it speaks to a lot of people in this country uh it it's it's just genuine you know it's authentic I mean, this is a guy that just wants to put music on, on YouTube. He, he was never trying to, you know, become famous, famous, you know. You know, he's, he's a regular guy from Virginia, of all places, you know. Um, and I, maybe that's part of the, the authenticity of this thing because, you know, this is, this is Appalachia where this is, where this, where this is coming from, you know. But uh, millions and millions of views. I mean, overnight sensation. And, and that's literal, folks. That's literally what happened. The guy became an overnight sensation with millions of views of his YouTube video and uh, millions and millions of listens uh, on iTunes. He became uh, the guy on, uh, you know, at the top of the charts in iTunes. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean this, thing, this thing spread like wildfire. You know, and there's a reason for that. The guy, like I said, he's 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 authentic, you know, but wouldn't you know, 
that there were people that were out there that were going to try and, you know, if not shut this down, just kind of denigrate this guy, you know, like he's not authentic, you know, um, it's weird, you know, I mean, it, this, this guy's just some schmo from Virginia who happens to play music and he plays it well. I mean, I, I, I you know me, man, I, I like this kind of music uh, and I like this kind of authentic feel to the music, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm not much of, you know, a guy for, you know, when it comes to f- favorite kinds of music, you know, th- this would be right up there, you know? Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, people out there trying to denigrate it and it's, and it's people on the left that are trying to do it. Uh, Rolling Stone was like one of the first ones that, that took the opportunity to trivialize what it was that was happening you know, when this thing was catching on like wildfire. In an article uh, written by The Blaze, um, Paul Saka, I don't know who that is, but, uh, but in an article, it, it reads, uh, Oliver Anthony sourced to number one on iTunes with Blue Collar Anthem, and Rolling Stone tries to trivialize the viral sensation as a right-wing screed with Reagan-era talking points. You know, it's funny that they bring up Reagan, you know. Uh, <laughs> do any of the young people today remember Reagan? I don't know. I, I hope they do, I, at least on this show. I, I play enough of Ronald Reagan uh, on this show, uh, you know, probably more than anybody else out there. Uh, and it's because the things that he was talking about back in his day were, were, I mean, he could be talking today. Now, now Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, he died years ago. But, it, you know, he could be alive today speaking to what's going on in this country. And I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, but it, here, here's the article that Rolling Stone put out there. Uh, I believe it's written by Joseph Hudak. H-U-D-A-K. Hudak. Hudak. Hudat. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, here's this Rolling Stone article. Uh, it's titled, Right-Wing Influencers Just Found Their Favorite New Country Song. Now, in the article, it, it reads, In Richmond, north of Richmond, a singing farmer in Virginia blasts high taxes and obese people on welfare and even appears to allude to Jeffrey Epstein. Right-wing influencers are losing their minds over a new country song that just appeared on streaming services today. Uh, Richmond, north of Richmond, is a passionate screed against the state of the country sung by Oliver Anthony, who identifies as a farmer living off the grid with his three dogs in Farmville, Virginia. In a video that Anthony posted uh, to YouTube earlier this month, he says he started writing songs in 2021 after he wasted a lot of nights getting high and getting drunk. Raw solo songs with titles like I Gotta Get Sober and uh, Ain't Got a Dollar helped cultivate a small following, but it was the recently released performance video of Rich Men North of Richmond, in which the red-bearded Anthony performs the song on a resonator guitar in a field with a deer blind behind him that caught the attention of conservative personalities like country singer John Rich and commentators Dan Bongino and Matt Walsh. The main reason this song resonates with so many people isn't political. It's because the song is raw and authentic. We're suffocated by artificiality, tweeted Walsh, vowing to promote any album that Anthony releases on 
all of my platforms. So Matt Walsh is a big fan. I think Bongino's a big fan. It goes on to read, A look at the lyrics, however, may suggest another reason why rich men north of Richmond is appealing to right-wing influencers. Oh, here we go. This is where they, they got us figured out, folks. Anthony rails against high taxes and the value of the dollar, but also wades into some Reagan-era talking points about welfare. Lord, we got folks in the streets, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare, he sings. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Now, you know, that's, that's not an eloquently, you know, that's not an eloquent verse, right? But it's true. It's, it's raw truth. I mean, it's, we, it's what we're all thinking, right? It goes on to read, The real head-turner, though, is an apparent allusion to Jeffrey Epstein's Caribbean island, where the billionaire and convicted sex offender allegedly introduced underage girls to powerful associates. I wish politicians would look out for minors, and not just minors on an island somewhere. In his straight-to-camera introduction video, Anthony who, according to a post on YouTube, cites Hank Williams Jr., no stranger to political songs, as his biggest influence. Says he sits pretty dead center down the aisle on politics and always have, and that it seems like both sides serve the same master. And that master is not someone of any good to the people of this country. That's, that's what this Oliver Anthony's saying. One conservative influencer compared rich men north of Richmond to Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town. The two most viral country songs of the last month are Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town and Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond. The account DC Drano tweeted. DC Drano. I don't even know who, who that is. But apparently DC Drano tweeted, You might notice a theme here. People are starved for music that speaks to them about today's problems. Well, that's damn right. That's, that's accurate. Anthony, meanwhile, sings that he's simply just one of many trying to navigate a complicated 21st century. You know, this, this, like I said, this song just caught on like wildfire, folks, because it's raw, it's authentic, it's genuine. This kid, uh, who I think he was born in the 90s. Um, so, you know, <laughs> he's a kid to me. But, uh, you know, he's, it, 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 this is a song that speaks to people who are struggling with just the absolute insanity that's happening in this country, you know? And it's funny that Rolling Stone, uh, you know, who really should have stuck to music, all right, but, uh, but now isn't even good at that, uh, recalls Reagan. You know, it's funny that they recall Reagan. Reagan was the last president who knew what was happening, you know, in the country and what could happen to the republic and... You know, that the real power to correct our course in this country was in the people, you know. Now, Rolling Stone speaks of Reagan as though he were inconsequential, you know. But if you listen to Reagan, if you listen to his speeches, and certainly I've posted enough of those speeches and those clips in my show. uh, But if you listen to his interviews, okay, you know, especially in a compilation that I put together at the end of episode 25, I think it was. Uh, you know, President Reagan would have understood Oliver Anthony. You know, Reagan understood the people 
And that made him better than Rolling Stone, and it made him more consequential than every president since Kennedy and right up until Trump. You know, President Reagan would have been in Oliver's corner. Reagan fought for and represented guys like Oliver. All right, and guys like Oliver, you know, he, he, like I said, he, he probably doesn't even remember Ronald Reagan, you know, but Reagan remembered guys like Oliver. And Oliver, whether he knows it or not, you know, and even though it wasn't Rolling Stone's intention, uh, Oliver just got the best accolade and compliment that he could possibly get from the most unlikely of publications like Rolling Stone. You know, his lyrics are being compared to Reagan talking points. You know, that's the most awesome thing that could be said about this kid. You know, if he's aware of it, I hope he revels in it. I hope he's proud of it. Uh, you know, because Rolling Stone wanted to denigrate him by using Reagan. And unwittingly, they paid this man the best compliment that anybody could, in my opinion. You know? But uh, all of that isn't as important as the one thing that infuriates leftists at Rolling Stone and on the street, quite frankly. All right? This song went number one in a couple of days because it resonates with far more people uh, than the left is comfortable with. You know? It's the damn truth of the song and the spirit in which it's sung that, that gets on their nerves so much. You know? For the moment... You know, in this song, a guy like Oliver Anthony spoke to us, and we listened, and we could hear it. We could hear ourselves, and we identified with this one guy in the backwoods of Virginia, you know. Uh, for a moment, we were that guy, you know, and we were with that guy, and we felt that guy, and we believed in him. And right now, we like that guy more than we like the president of the United States, and that's something that the left will never understand, folks. And that's all I got to say about that. So let's see here. What are we talking about these days uh, here in the county? Um, you know, over the last couple of years, you'll notice that I've taken a real interest in schools, uh, school policies, uh, school issues, education, you know, like many parents across the county you know, and across the country, you know, uh, during the COVID years, I really had my eyes opened, uh, like a lot of us did, you know, what, what our kids were being exposed to in schools, uh, what they were, uh, being taught in schools, you know, uh, and despite what the people had learned during this time, uh, what they understood, what they wanted, uh, the bought and paid for representatives, uh, in this County, and across the country, uh, Democrats in Republican clothing, all right, continued to do what they wanted to do, all right, and what the unions wanted, uh, what their philosophies and ideologies called for, you know. Uh, they didn't listen to the people, you know. They think they know better. They say they have the answers. They steer the ship. Uh, they think they know better than you folks. Uh, they're secretive, subversive. Uh, they limit the people uh, and parents in this county, uh, and then dare to chastise them and ridicule them for having legitimate issues on how things are being done. And, and, and they chastise parents that are, that are calling them out for it, you know? And that's something that has to change in this county and uh, I imagine in counties across the country, you know? Uh, in this county, 
uh, it seems that they spend our money how they see fit, right? Enriching themselves in the process. And then they have the audacity to tell parents that their own tax money will not follow their child to the school that, 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 that the parents choose, all right? A school that produces results, right? Because they say so. Using the North Carolina Constitution as an excuse to opposing the people's determined will. And like I said before, folks, why do they do this? They're fighting to keep your money, all right? And year after year, they spend it stupidly and wastefully. Again, uh, enriching themselves in the process and doing deals for things under the people's noses in this county. All right? They do all of this and more while your public school systems fail in virtually every way imaginable. Okay, and when it comes time for an election, because now we're kind of in an election season here, uh, only now do you get some of the truth, right? Or you get some some of the information that they that they keep from you during the year. All right, um, you know we have one in particular, all right, who who actually said that the school system is crumbling financially, and that they're going to have to raise our taxes here in Stanley County. <laughs> during the worst economic crisis that we've seen in this country in over 40 years. And he says this, you know, we're going to have to raise your taxes because it's crumbling. Well, why is it crumbling? Why, 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 why are we losing money? You know, why are things falling apart? Okay. Uh, that's the question to ask. Now I'm talking about Dustin Lisk. Uh, on the board who actually said this. I believe he said it at the uh, last GOP meeting in the county. All right. Uh, you know, when I heard this, <laughs> uh, you know, it just confirmed what I thought the very first time that I saw him when the GOP uh, voted to install him on the school board. And now he's just revealing what he always was. All right. A Democrat. All right. With Democrat practices. Uh, and philosophies, all right? D- definitely not a conservative. I can tell you that, all right? I knew it the night that he was voted in, all right? I knew it, uh, and I saw it in the faces of the parents and the mothers who didn't have a vote that night, you know? I heard it in their voices, you know, when the GOP ganged up for one night to push this guy onto the school board over the obvious objections of the people that were calling for more vetting, of the candidates. The GOP in this county knew what they were putting in there. And now after all this time, he's going to tell us that they're going to have to raise our taxes. You know, what they're looking to do is, you know, they're looking to raise the paychecks or, you know, the pay of everyone across the board employed by the school system. Right. And if they're successful in having your taxes raised, Okay, I feel like that they won't have to sacrifice the bullshit that they're teaching our kids. Critical race theory, SEL, you know, the the trans agenda, leftist materials and lessons for the kids. Okay, I I think I think that's what they want to do. They want to raise your taxes so they don't have to sacrifice any of that. It's crumbling financially. Yeah, no shit, Dustin. No shit. Where was that kind of candor? When parents were asking about the damn budget, you know, when the school bus issues were being asked about all damn year, you know, you didn't have any answers then you didn't, you didn't tell us anything then. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, okay. During that whole year, 
nothing of real importance had been accomplished for the schools in this county to put us on the right track. And when people bring it up, oh, it's, it's, you're going to chastise them. You're going to ask them, you know, what do you want us to do here on this board? Well, you've been, you've been pissing away the money on stupid shit and not, not spending it on the right things, you know? I mean, I, I get into this in, in the last two episodes. Bottom line is, they talk the talk. They don't walk the walk, all right? They have their own agendas, uh, and, um, you know, they're better than you. They're better than you, folks. They know better. You don't know anything, all right? And now, you know, when it's an election year, uh, now they tell you, we're going to have to raise your taxes because the system is failing, yeah, no shit. We knew it was failing. And now you, <laughs> you want to raise our taxes to fix it? It's time for things to change in this county. Uh, and if we keep letting them win these elections, if we allow, if we allow the, the GOP in this county to put people into, on, onto the school board uh, like this, uh, if we don't hold them accountable, if we don't send them to the bread line, so to speak, you're going to wonder one day how it got so bad. If you're not doing that already, going to have to raise taxes. That's some horse shit. You know, parents are asking the question, you know, in light of all this. Why do we just accept the fact? Why do we accept the fact that, you know, the only education system for the people is to be the public school system? Why, why, why do we accept the idea that the only taxpayer-funded education system uh, in this country uh, is the public school system? Why, why do we accept that? You know, pe- pe- people, people are asking that question, you know, because they realize it's failing. They knew it. They've known it, you know. Uh, you know, your public schools going all the way back, you know, they took God out and put Marxism in. You know, they gave trophies to kids who merely breathed in class, okay? Uh, Public schools took merit out and put skin color in. You know, they took science out and put ideology in, you know? They took the truth and they bastardized it. And now boys can be girls and girls can be boys. That's that's what's being taught these days. Public schools are really a problem right now. Uh, And we're told that we can't make changes to it Uh, And we can't allow parents to choose for their children because of a warped selective interpretation of the state's constitution. So we're stuck with what we have. And because we're stuck with what we have in the the position that we're in now, all right, you're going to have to give us more of your money. We're going to have to tax you. Horse shit. Folks, uh, like many of you, I propose that we go back to the basics and institute the standards and expectations Uh, And quite frankly, the faith and the truth back into our schools. You know, we decide where our money goes. And we decide what we teach our children and how we teach it. We decide what materials are appropriate for kids. We decide, not the state. When it comes to our tax money, to the tax revenue in this county, the people ought to decide where their tax money goes not the state. We decide. You know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just need to get it spinning again. And that's all I got to say about that. So, 
uh, I was going to talk, uh, uh, you know, dig into the weeds into this, uh, that whole issue, uh, and specifically uh, get into the six North Carolina overrides of Governor Cooper's vetoes, uh, you know, the House bills pertaining to schools and girls' sports, uh, and what that means to the state of North Carolina and you, okay? Uh, and, and I'll probably get into that in, in one of the next episodes because I'm sure we haven't heard the last about any of this. Uh, but right now, i got to talk about uh, two things, <laughs> two, two huge things. The Republican primary debate and the indictment of Donald Trump down in Georgia because it's going to mean a lot in the coming year uh, in terms of our election uh, and the course of this country, you know, uh, not that the overrides, you know, the override issue isn't important, okay? But uh, but I got to speak to these two things because this, this is this is huge, okay? Uh, and you know, you hear it every election season that this is the most pivotal election in the history of the United States. But I'm telling you, uh, this election coming up, it's absolutely true. It's the most important election. Uh, in this country's history coming up, you know? So I want to talk about the Republican debate, uh, primary debate, uh, and how that went, and uh, some of my thoughts on it. Uh, And I want to talk about the Donald Trump indictment in Georgia, because holy shit, man. Uh, Some of the the things that that we saw and heard and, and the indictment itself, uh, it's, it's truly amazing, folks. Uh, like I said, you know, elected officials come and go, but the machines that they put in place remain. Uh, and we got to change that. And we're going to talk about it uh, right after this uh, small break that I'm going to take here. Uh, I know it's a little early uh, in the show for a break, but I'm going to take it because this this is... This is huge. So uh, enjoy the uh, intermission here, and uh, I'll be right back. I did good, Meg. Shut up. I did good. I did good. Well, if you're anything like me, folks, uh, you're probably drinking coffee in the morning, right? That's right. It's the gift from God, right? Like bourbon and beer, coffee is proof that the good Lord loves us. And as a well-rounded connoisseur of the caffeinated black gold, I want my coffee to kickstart me in the morning, folks. Punch yourself in the face! But I also want that smooth, medium-dark blend flavor that can mellow out any Monday morning and can literally save the lives of those people who start talking first thing in the morning. You know, before I'm ready to hear about their weekend bullshit. That's why I suggest Café Du Monde. It's a New Orleans blend coffee served at the Café Du Monde located in the French market since the 1860s. Now look, coffee first came to North America by way of New Orleans back in the mid-1700s. It was successfully cultivated in Martinique in 1720. And the taste for coffee and chicory was developed by the French during their civil war. As you can imagine, coffee was scarce during those times and they found that chicory added body and flavor to the brew. Okay, and they carried this blend into the year 1862, when the first Café du Monde coffee stand was established. And ever since then, nothing but caffeinated goodness has been served down there. And beginning in the late 1980s, early 90s, Café du Monde worked its way into grocery stores across the country. 
Now look, history's good, right? But coffee's better in the morning. And at 7 a.m., nobody wants a damn history lesson about their coffee, right? So just pour a cup of Café du Monde and remember how to be less dead and more alive again. All right? Because we need you to get to work. Okay? So, uh, you know, make that special brew of chicory blend coffee by Café du Monde and get your ass to work. Okay? And remember, folks, if you got good bean, you got good coffee. Yes! <laughs> I like it! My name is Ron Swanson. I'm here to tell you about a black tie gala fundraiser for Pawnee Commons happening tonight. All proceeds will go toward building a park. It will be enjoyable. Now I will take your calls, apparently. Three, two... Hello again. I'm Ron Swanson, and I am still taking your calls, hopefully about tonight's gala. You're on the air. Hi, uh, what's wrong with Joan? She has a bad hangover which she is pretending is allergies. Is she gonna be okay? Wouldn't know, never been hung over. After I've had too much whiskey, I cook myself a large flank steak, pan-fried in salted butter. I eat that, put on a pair of wet socks, and go to sleep. That works? It does. Please call now if you have questions about tonight's gala, or one of my other interests. Woodworking, uh, novels about tall ships, meat, that sort of thing. This is Ron. Go ahead, caller. Hi, my Yorkshire Terrier has chewed up the legs on my kitchen table. Is there a cheap way to repair that? Great question. Take a walnut and rub it into the legs of your table. That'll mask the scratches. Next thing you want to do is ditch the terrier and get yourself a proper dog. Any dog under 50 pounds is a cat and cats are pointless. Come to the gala. Next caller. Grapes of Wrath, chocolate chip ice cream, and Johnny Cash. Don't trust big banks or small banks. Banks are Ponzi schemes run by morons. Your house isn't haunted, you're lonely. Whatever happened to, hey, I have some apples, would you like to buy them? Yes, thank you. That's as complicated as it should be to open a business in this country. I've seen three movies in my life. Bridge on the River Kwai, Patton, and Herbie Fully Loaded. My girlfriend's kids love it. It's pretty funny. Next caller. Well, let the political war get hot, folks. We now have the mugshot of President Trump. The former president was arraigned and arrested in Fulton County, Georgia. And he was, he was out of there in about 15 minutes. But not before he got his mugshot taken. You know, this case is going to be televised. That's why they did it. Uh, they, they want the spectacle, okay? They, they wanted to push this mugshot out there and hope that it would turn people away from Donald Trump. But as per usual... They're dead wrong. You know, I, I want a mug. I want a t-shirt. I want a freaking wall poster. I, I mean, hell, I want a flag of this mug shot. Because if they thought that the people were going to turn against Trump in that county or across the country, they're wronger than two boys kissing. You know, Trump's numbers have bolted up to about 55% in support of the man. You know, they've been beating this man's ass and, and really punishing us, the people, for supporting Trump in the first place. You know, you got, you got four indictments and a mugshot now. Four bullshit indictments and a mugshot. And at the end of it all, he's still going to be president. <laughs> 
Put that in your pipe and smoke it. All right, what are we uh, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the debate, right? The the Republican primary debate now, uh, and you had Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, all right, uh, Doug Burgum, he's a nice guy, uh, Mike Pence, and Asa Hutchison, and um, you know the the one guy that that should have been there uh, that I think would have been better. Uh, you know, it would have been better if he'd have been there. Would, well, it was Larry Elder. I really wish Larry Elder would have been there. In fact, if you're going to take one guy off that stage, all right, one person off that stage, I would have taken Asa Hutchison off the stage. You know, um, I don't know. I, 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 I think you still have to have Mike Pence in there. He'd have been one I'd have taken off because, I, I, hey, Mike, uh, you're done, man. Okay. <laughs> you're not, you're, uh-uh, not, not this time. Um, but uh, I, would have, I would have liked to have seen Larry Elder up there. I think it would have been a better debate with him up there. But having said that, okay, uh, the debate was pretty good. All right. Um, August 23rd, 2023, uh, the Republican primary debate happened, and uh, Donald Trump was not there, but he was there, okay, if you know what I mean. Uh, the debate itself wasn't short on uh, fiery debate, all right, and back and forth when it came to the people that were on the stage. You know, a lot of people have made some hay about Donald Trump not being there. All right, he, he, you know, he thinks it's not necessary for him to be there. All right, since every other candidate is basically choking on his dust miles behind in the polls. Okay, I, I think it was a good thing in retrospect that Donald Trump didn't show up to this thing. Because I'm going to tell you what, if there's anybody that was going to suck the air out of the room, Okay, it was going to be Donald Trump. And this really allowed these candidates to kind of let loose a little bit on each other. You know what I mean? And and really get into a scrum on stage there. All right. Because that's really I mean, that's that's what has to happen. All right. Uh, And honestly, (laughs) you know, Trump was probably watching it. And, uh, you know, he was doing yes, no, yes, yes, no, no, no. (laughs) the short list, you know what I mean? But, uh, but anyway, so it happened. And, um, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm looking at these cats and there's, there's only, I mean, honestly, there's a, there's a few of them. They all had some good points on some things. All right. Uh, but honestly, the only two that I was really giving any weight to by the end of it, uh, was Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. All right. No one else on that stage has an ice cream cone chance in hell of being a serious contender to Trump. Okay, Uh, you know, most of the people on that stage, they're either, you know, from the establishment or they're just simple spoilers. Okay, like like Chris Christie. All right. He's he's a spoiler. All right. His whole platform is based on, you know, trashing Trump. Okay, Uh, but, you know, they, they don't I don't I don't think any of them has a real chance to surpass Trump, uh, especially after the latest indictment and arrest of Donald Trump down in Fulton County, Georgia. Okay. Which I'm going to get to here in a little bit, but, uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm pre-gaming it, You know, I, I know I have, I've asked this before, but am I the only one that pre-games these debates or, or political debates? <laughs> I'm, I'm pre-gaming this thing like a football game. You know what I mean? But, uh, 
anyway, so it, it gets rolling, and it starts off like you'd expect, okay? Uh, and the first question was given to uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, who opened up with the first canned statement of the evening, all right? Uh, but canned or not, um, honestly, uh, it was explosive. It, w- it was a good first shot, you know what I mean? Uh, and quite frankly, it's, it's the prevailing thought uh, on the minds of American people. Okay, and the characterization of our country, uh, what's going on in the country by DeSantis, uh, it's on everybody's mind in the way that he put it and the way that he explained it, uh, like I said, was the first explosive statement of the evening. And, And really, it should have been the overarching theme of where Americans are today. Our country is in decline. This decline is not inevitable. It's a choice. We need to send Joe Biden back to his basement and reverse American decline. And it starts with understanding we must reverse Bidenomics so that middle-class families have a chance to succeed again. We cannot succeed as a country if you are working hard and you can't afford groceries, a car, or a new home, while Hunter Biden can make hundreds of thousands of dollars on lousy paintings. That is wrong. We... We also cannot succeed when the Congress spends trillions and trillions of dollars. Those rich men north of Richmond have put us in this situation. And finally, we need to lower your gas prices. We're going to open up all energy production. We will be energy dominant again in this country. I showed it could be done in the state of Florida. I pledge to you as your president, we will get the job done and I will not let you down. But despite the powerful statement uh, that uh, DeSantis made that garnered much applause from the audience, it didn't take long for the shots to be fired. And it rapidly became apparent that all guns were on Vivek Ramaswamy. And honestly, you know, as soon as the guy starts talking, I knew that the establishment people were going to, you know, have the knives out, you know, because quite frankly, that's how they've operated all their political lives. You know, Uh, hell, it's what everybody did to Trump in 2016. You know, and of course, Vivek was saying things that were kind of controversial. And, uh, you know, I I think he was kind of picking the fight, too, you know. So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name? And what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett. You're right about that. I'm an entrepreneur. My parents came to this country with no money 40 years ago. I have gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. Listen, now that everybody's gotten their memorized, pre-prepared slogans out of the way, we can actually have a real discussion now. The, the, the reality and the fact of the matter is... Was that one of yours? Uh, it, not, not really, Mike, actually. No. We're just going to have some fun tonight. And the reality is, you have a bunch of people, professional politicians, super PAC puppets, following slogans handed over to them by their 400-page super PACs last week. The real choice we face in this primary is this. Do you want a super PAC puppet? Or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? Do you want incremental reform, which is what you're hearing about? Or do you want revolution? Okay. And I stand on the side of the American revolution. We're we're going to take control back here. You know, Ron DeSantis may have had the number one spot on the stage, uh, but Ramaswamy was taking the heat. I mean, he he was he was really (laughs) they had the knives out for Vivek. Uh, and, And I think it was because in part because of, you know, he was kind of picking the fight in some of these. Um, but, you know, some of the ideas that he had and some of the, some of the issues that he talked about and his stances on them, uh, I really think uh, went against the establishment grain. 
So, you know, they're going to pile on the guy. You know, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, they, they all went after him uh, in one way or another on one issue or another. You know, uh, Mike Pence called Ramaswamy a rookie. Uh, Chris Christie called him an amateur, you know. Um, <laughs> Nikki Haley went after him. Uh, you know, you don't know anything about foreign policy, and it shows, you know. Uh, that's cute, Nikki. I'm glad, glad you're writing your speeches or, or your canned statements on, on memes. Um, but, um, you know, like I said, Ramaswamy, he was taking all the knives that night. And, of course, Chris Christie uh, finally had enough. Uh, he, he finally did the Chris Christie thing that he usually does. And really, you know, at, at one point or another, uh, all three of those establishment-type uh, Republicans really went after him. Hold no. on, hold I've on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama. And I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. You've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want to go and defund Israel? You want to? Okay, let me address that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional politician. There you have it. So you the reality make America is, less safe. You have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy experience that you all have shows. And so the reality is that today, today, Ukraine is not a priority for the United States of America. And I think that the same people who took us into the Iraq War, the same people who took us into the Vietnam War, you cannot end it. You cannot start another no-win war. And I do not want to get to the point where we're sending our military resources abroad when we could be better using them here at home to protect our own borders, okay. protect the homeland. All right. That will be my top priority for the homeland. We gave you more than, this than the 30 homeland. seconds. In the and the right. problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to right. let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't False. do that to friends. What you do False. instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is a front line of defense. Putin has said if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro-American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 and, seconds. Mr. DeSant, you know, Nikki, DeSantis, I wish you well answer. in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, the fact of, of the Lockheed matter, and Raytheon, and you know, Boeing you came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. Stage, you've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? This, you want to okay, give let me address that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional politician. There you have it. So you the reality make America is, less safe. You have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy experience that you all have shows in the pointless wars we've gotten into. I have to address that. So our relationship with Israel 
will never be stronger than by the end of my first term. But it's not a client relationship, it is a friendship. And you know what friends do? Friends help each other stand on their own two feet. So I will lead Abraham Accords 2.0. I will partner with Israel to make sure Iran never is nuclear armed. But you know what I love about Israel? And I've been there probably in the last 10 years more than most people on this stage. You know what I love about them? I love their border policies. I love their tough on crime policies. I love that they have a national identity and an iron dome to protect their homeland. And so, yes, I want to learn from the friends that we're supporting. And what puzzles no, me cut the, is, uh, no, angle. I want to learn from those and apply you, those to protect our homeland, that Nikki. Israel that needs is the America. Answer. America needs on? Israel. Okay, they Governor DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, you were mentioned yeah. at the territorial dispute. Not only... Uh, no, it's not so a territorial as, as dispute either. And, you know, this is the way it went for most of the night, folks. You know, I mean, it didn't take long to get there. And once they were there, they were going full blast. You know, Uh, (laughs) it was it was wild. It was entertaining Uh, and it was informative. And uh, in some ways, they didn't talk a a, a lot about uh, what they were going to actually do. All right. They were they were basically debating debating the issue. All right. you know, no, no real solutions came out of this. All right. But I'm, I'm, you know, it's the first one. So, uh, but like I said, you know, Chris Christie did his thing. He went after Ramaswamy. Mike Pence was pretty aggressive. Nikki Haley was, was like a, 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 a chihuahua going after him. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that doesn't mean that I, that, that I'm anti Nikki Haley. All right. She's not going to be president. I can tell you that she probably won't even be vice president. She'll be lucky to get a, get a cabinet position if she gets anything. But, uh, you know, it was, just, it was just funny the way this thing went throughout the night. You know, Chris Christie was like, you know, uh, to Vivek, you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. And then he goes on to say, I did it as, as a U.S. attorney. I did it as a governor. And I'm not going to bow to anyone. You know, I don't, I don't even know what the hell he means by that. You know? I'm not going to bow to it. What the hell did that have to do with anything, Christy? You know, and to be fair, okay, Christy, before this debate, had been nothing but bash Trump, okay? Uh, I've never heard him talk about substantive uh, solutions on anything uh, except to bash Trump, you know? But in this debate, he he tried for a while to make it seem like he wanted to be president of, of, of the people, you know? But again... You know, like I said, true colors come out every time. You know, he's got nothing. All right. And I don't think anybody's really impressed by his record in New Jersey. All right. Let's not forget, while he was shutting, you know, people down in New Jersey over COVID, his ass was at the beach. Okay. You know, the one that he closed down and then enjoyed while the people were shut out of it. Yeah, that's that's Chris Christie. All right. But but all this back and forth, you know. Uh, from the establishment Republicans up there on the stage uh, going after Vivek, you know, it kind of made DeSantis kind of an afterthought, (laughs) you know? Uh, Nobody really took a shot at DeSantis. And interestingly enough, uh, during this debate, Haley took the first shot at Trump, claiming that he ran up the deficit. But as per usual, you know, the candidate shoots off a snippet of a soundbite with no context or truth to the matter that she spouted off. Okay, eight trillion dollars to the deficit. Yeah. You know what that was? Yeah, that was that was covid. None of it was because of any war that Trump engaged in. Like we are now. 
You know, what, what, what are we up to in deficit under Biden's watch? Well, uh, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget estimates that the Biden administration has enacted policies through legislation and executive actions that will add more than $4.8 trillion to deficits. $4.8 trillion. That's almost $5 trillion that he's going to add. You know, to compare it, you know, uh, Barack Obama had $8.6 trillion added to the budget. I mean, added to the deficit. This is the kind of soundbite crap you get at some of these debates. You know, and as far as the experience shot that Haley tried to take on Vivek, you know, it struck me that all the other candidates, especially Mike Pence and Nikki Haley, as much as they tried to make inexperience a denigrating issue point, it struck me that all these supposed experienced candidates, right, that, the, that, you know, they've been in the government for a long time. And look where we are, folks. The country is out of control, you know, economically, culturally. And, and sure, you can blame Biden for it. But all these other Republicans have been around for years before Vivek got into politics. All right. And yet things are where they are. You know, if, if they were so great, why didn't they do something about it then? You know what I mean? So really, the, the whole experience thing is really questionable here. All right. You, you might have some political experience out there, but you know, is it, is it really doing any good right now? You know, are we, are we on the right path? Are we doing the right things? A lot of people would say no. So at the end of it all, uh, at the end of this uh, primary debate, uh, my feeling was that, that in terms of winners and losers in this thing, uh, I think it was a toss-up between Vivek uh, Ramaswamy and uh, Ron DeSantis. You know, they both kind of crushed it in their own way. Um, either one of them will be a great VP. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I didn't even I didn't even talk about Burgum or Asa Hutchison uh, or Tim Scott. Tim Scott, I like that guy. I really like Tim Scott. I really do, but I don't think it's his time. You know, uh, Burgum, he's a nice guy, uh, and he did make some valid points uh, by using some small town insight. Uh, that I think was really good. The guy's from North Dakota. He, he seems like a really good guy. And he's a self-made man. He's, he's a, I think he's a billionaire too. Okay. Um, like I said, nice guy. But uh, not his time. Okay. Nikki Haley, you know, uh, she made some good points in here. Uh, still not feeling her as president. Okay. I don't think she's going to, she ain't going to get there. All right. Um, she ain't the one. And... As far as the abortion issue goes, just on that alone, if she's looking for a consensus on that issue after making the statement that a president needs to have moral clarity and needs to lead and know right from wrong and good from evil, then uh, your, your whole stance on abortion and looking for a consensus on that is kind of confusing. Okay, so uh, Nikki, you ain't the one. You're the establishment. Chris Christie, nope, not happening. Um, Asa Hutchison, nah, not a president. He's not, he's not president uh, in any way, shape, or form. He's, he might be a good guy, and I think he's a good guy, but I just don't think he's the guy, especially with Trump in the race. You know, uh, Asa Hutchison and Mike Pence still operate from the old playbook, 
and talking points style. Okay. Uh, Hutchison is a conservative. All right. But he's one of the old Republicans. And he comes from a time where, you know, Republicans were quite frankly comfortable with rolling over for the Democrats, you know. Um, and like I said, not, not that I think, you know, Mike Pence and Asa Hutchison are bad guys. You know, personally, I like Mike Pence uh, as, as an individual. I've, I've heard him talk before. Um, I, I like the guy. I don't dislike him. And Asa Hutchison is certainly a nice guy. But they're not the kind of guys we need as president. All right. They're not the fighters uh, that we need in the White House right now. So let the games begin. Right. Um, <laughs> I said that Trump's shortlist is being compiled as we speak. I don't know if any of these people make it uh, into his administration. I don't know. Um, he, he, you know, Trump's going to decide. Right. But but here's what I do know. Trump is a known factor among the people. And. In, from my foxhole, he's the guy, you know, because he's the one guy out of all these candidates that the Democrats want to destroy. OK, he's the one guy that's going to I mean, he's going to go scorched earth with the deep state. I'm telling you. Uh, and the left knows it. The Democrats know it. And that's why they're bringing out the guns. You know, uh, I think any of these candidates, if like I said, any two of these candidates, uh, if I were to if I were to pick two. Uh, for vice president, it would it would definitely be DeSantis or Ramaswamy. Okay, really anybody but Mike Pence, uh, Asa Hutchison, and Chris Christie. You know, uh, like I said, I I, I even th- I think Burgum is I think he's he's intriguing. I, wa- I I would love to hear more of that guy talk. Um, he's he's <laughs> he's a nice guy right now. You know what I mean? But I, I, I don't know a whole lot about him. But during the debate, I really liked some of the things that he said and how he said them. So uh, anyway, the first primary debate's down. There's going to be one later uh, in the next month or two, I think. Um, my opinions about all of this could change if and only if the candidates convince me in an earth-shattering way that any of them is better than Donald Trump. Uh, Vivek's the only outsider here. Um, but you know, as we learned with Donald Trump, uh, outsiders don't have anything to lose for a hot minute. You know, I think, I think he'd go in guns a blazing sort of like Trump did, you know, uh, the other side of that coin is look, Ron DeSantis, uh, really knows how to govern. Uh, and he's been a complete success in the state of Florida. And I think a lot of people out here in the rest of the country look, look at Florida and go, you know, that makes sense. You know, that's. It's, uh, you know, he's been, he's been successful there and he's been willing to take on, you know, huge movements, uh, on the other side of the fence. So let's dance, right? Let's, uh, let's figure it out. All the candidates in some way, shape or form, uh, here at this debate actually supported Trump policies and actions that he took with very few exceptions. They all agreed, uh, that Trump policies worked. Okay. Uh, in their own way. They didn't actually come out and say it in a lot of ways, but I mean, really when you listen to them, uh, you know, these, these are Trump policies and actions that they're supporting. And they all agree, of course, that the Biden administration has been an absolute failure in every way. Uh, and that this administration has been working against the American people in their relentless endeavor to wield complete control over the government and the people. 
so really the question at the end of this primary is who are you going to vote for? You know, Trump wasn't there, but I think Trump is the one. Other highlights and things that caught my attention uh, and evoked some thoughts while I watched this, this debate. Uh, Chris Christie said during the debate that Trump called for the suspension of the Constitution, which is why he won't support Donald Trump if, if Trump becomes the nominee. Uh, folks, here's what Trump actually said during that whole thing. Uh, he's quoted as saying, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. Okay? And what he means is the rules and regulations and articles as it relates to elections and, uh, and as it relates to the fraud that he believes were, was perpetrated against the American people in the 2020 election. Pence, you know, at some point said that Trump asked him to put him above the Constitution. All right. That's not what Trump wanted, folks. All right. Let's let's get that clear. All right. These candidates are mischaracterizing the issue of the 2020 election and what Trump was doing and what he was looking for. Okay, Uh, it's the same damn thing that Fulton County is doing to Trump. Okay, but uh, you be the judge and uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Uh, especially after we read this this indictment from Georgia. Uh, Ron DeSantis, I think, is, like I said, a, more of a mission-oriented guy. He doesn't spend a lot of time, you know, flashing his teeth in public, okay? And when he gets down to business, it's at the desk, okay? He's working the issue, okay? But he's, he's not out there in public uh, to do showbiz, okay? And he gets the job done by allowing the right people, uh, you know, to help work the issue, and embody his vision for the people of Florida, okay? So he's going to have to really figure out how to convey the passion that he obviously has on the inside, all right? We know he knows how to govern, and from my foxhole, he's got the best record out of all the candidates here uh, who, who were former governors, okay? And if, Trump's, if, if Trump wants him as VP, I don't think it'd be a bad choice. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, there were some people that, that actually tried to, uh, at some point or another, I don't, I don't think it was during the debate, but at some point or another, there were a bunch of posts and, and accusations that Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, took money from George Soros. <laughs> uh, you know, folks, um, it doesn't take long to figure stuff out. Okay. So do yourself a favor and actually look into the issue. All right. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was accused of being bought and paid for by, by Soros. That's not true. Okay. And here's why Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, received a $90,000 award from a fund that was created by Daisy and Paul Soros, not George. Okay. And at the age of 24, 25, something like that, uh, he was still going through school and he, he took the award to pay for his law school. Okay. That's, that's, that's the, that's the crux of it, folks. Okay, he didn't take checks personally from any Soros. Okay, it was an award fund through the school and for school. You know, this was this was before he was a billionaire. So, uh, you know, those people out there who talk about how he's bought and paid for. Nah, not really. Not not at all. Actually. Uh, We're going long here. I'm over the hour. Damn. Um, I'll finish this up and then we'll uh, and then we'll cruise into another break. Uh, Nikki Haley, okay, says that Ramaswamy wants 
to let China eat Taiwan, okay? And, you know, he doesn't have foreign policy experience. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, what, versus the experience that, that handed Afghanistan to the Taliban or let Russia invade Ukraine, uh, calls China a competitor instead of the enemy that they are. Uh, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll consider an outsider with no foreign policy experience. I mean, it comes down to choices. It comes down to decisions that are made, you know, with the information that you have and the things that you know. Okay. And as far as, you know, Nikki Haley's position on China, uh, you know, honestly, I think she's in alignment. She's in alignment with everybody else. You know, we, we all know that China is an enemy here. All right. Uh, she was a good ambassador for the UN, but let's be real here. She followed the orders of the president in how we were to be represented to the UN. Okay. Uh, it's a dumb shot to take. All right. Uh, and while Vivek doesn't have any foreign policy experience, he does have ideas. He has a vision, uh, which is, you know, which is good. You know, we ought to be having these, these debates about these ideas and what we're going to do as a country. Nikki Haley ain't going to get anywhere. I don't think she's, she's going to make it anywhere uh, as far as her run for president. Uh, Vivek could have a, a real shot. Um, he's, he, him and DeSantis are really the only ones that have the real shot. You know, if Vivek Ramaswamy becomes president, you know, he's going to need an ambassador to the U.N., Maybe Nikki Haley gets her old job back. What do you think? <laughs> uh, you know, and I don't agree with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy about his ideas with Ukraine. All right. Um, but but that's a debatable issue. All right. Uh, he doesn't want to defund Israel. OK, he wants them to rely on us less. OK, uh, and I agree with that. You know, I don't I don't have I'm not against that. All right. Uh, I agree with Nikki Haley about Ukraine. Uh, and, and what, you know, the fact that they're pro-American, right? Uh, and that they're getting screwed, you know, not, not just by Russia, but by us, okay? Uh, because, of course, you know, we got billions of dollars that are going to Ukraine uh, and barely pocket change from Maui, all right? And that, that kind of pisses people off, all right? Uh, who do I think won the debate? Um, like I said, man, uh, DeSantis and Vivek, are neck and neck with me at least you know and i think with a lot of the country uh bottom line trump's going to be president folks if he gets the nomination he's going to be president that's it end of story all right at best the candidates were auditioning for a post in the trump administration and that's all i got to say about that so <clears throat> Here we are uh, at the top of the hour, actually seven minutes over. Uh, I said this was going to be a short episode, but I, I think it's going to go a little long uh, over the hour and a half that I, that I wanted to take. So, um, so let's take a break here, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to fill it with uh, here. Uh, honestly, people, I am currently in the middle of trying to prepare to go to Texas for a training event, and uh, I'm extremely busy. Um, so... Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's take a break here. And, uh, when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about the Trump indictment. Okay. Uh, and the left's response to it, uh, and break down the charges in the indictment and talk about those. And, um, yeah, we're going to get into the whole, the whole thing here. 
Uh, I'll try not to get down into uh, too far down into the weeds about it, but I do want to talk about it, and I'm going to talk about how ridiculous it is. And and you know, honestly, people that listen to me here probably understand and know already that this is nothing more than uh, continued weaponization and politicization of the justice system and the reasons why they're doing it and and doing all of this working in concert together uh, to come after trump that's that's as obvious that's as plain as the day is long okay but uh but on the other side we're going to talk about it all right so uh yeah come back uh or or don't come back and come back later all right that's the beauty of the podcast all right it's it's uh it's part of what makes this podcast excellent right so uh see you on the other side folks never been anything like it this great movement of ours never been anything like it and perhaps there will never be anything like it again there's never been anything to compete with what we have all done but never forget our enemies want to stop us because we are the only ones and that's all of you and me, all working together. Who can stop them? We're the only ones that can stop them. They want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. It's very simple. They want to silence me because I will never let them silence you. Then in the end, they're not after me. They're after you and I just happen to be standing in their way. We are a failing nation. We are a nation in decline. And now these radical left lunatics want to interfere with our elections by using law enforcement. It's totally corrupt and we won't let it happen. 2024 is our final battle. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will expel the warmongers from our government. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists, Marxists, and fascists. And we will throw off the sick political class that hates our country. We will rout the fake news media, and we will defeat crooked Joe Biden. We will liberate America from these villains once and for all. The great silent majority is rising like never before. And under our leadership, the forgotten man and woman will be forgotten no longer. We will make sure that our great, wonderful, beautiful, forgotten men and women will not be forgotten any longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. Do not allow anyone 
to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. We stand at the birth of a new millennium. It's time to remember that old wisdom our soldiers will never forget, that whether we are black or brown or white, we all bleed the same red blood of patriots. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. And your courage and goodness and love will forever guide us along the way. We need somebody that literally will take this country and make it great again. We can do that. Ladies and gentlemen, I am officially running for President of the United States, and we are going to make our country great again. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. again. the America First movement is as strong as it's ever been. And no matter how many false indictments that they write up, no matter how many false charges that they sling at this guy, we know that he will prevail. As he's done time after time, after all their attempts to crush this republic by crushing one man, they will fail. I know it, you know it, and you can damn sure bet that in the end, they know it. Welcome back to yet another eye-opening segment of the sweeter-smelling podcast in the world. I am your less-than-humble host, Wild Bill of the Wild Bill fame. Coming at you from the Carolina Command Center, rendering my righteous rhetoric for your reception, folks. So buckle up and hold on to your butts, because we're about to jetpack our ass right into truth, justice, and the American way. So, welcome back. Uh, it's good to be back, folks. Uh, and uh, as you may know, uh, or, or may know now, uh, I'm not going to be able to make September's episode because I'm going to be at a training event all that month. 
So for those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis, don't worry. Dry your eyes. I'll be back soon enough. uh, And we'll be right back to digging into the things that we care about uh, in this country. All right. So in the meantime, it'll be a good time for all of you to catch up on some of the missed episodes uh, or maybe some of the episodes that you hadn't listened completely to. Uh, You know, (laughs) I try not to give into speculation, um, but ever since the censorship efforts of the left uh, and social media platforms to include Spotify at one time, uh, I believe the show is being somewhat throttled down out there. Okay. Uh, just a little while ago, Apple Podcasts were the majority of the listeners out there. Right now, uh, it's, neck, it's neck and neck uh, for Spotify and Google Podcasts. Okay, App, Apple just sort of disappeared uh, there for, for a little bit. Uh, and the number of listens have dropped somewhat. Okay, now, <clears throat> you know, I don't think Spotify is doing anything. All right, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm a nobody. What do they got to worry about? Um, but I really have to wonder if some of the other platforms out there aren't fooling around, you know, uh, look, we all know Facebook tends to throttle things. All right. I've certainly been shadow banned. I've, I've been kicked off of Facebook, uh, or thrown in Facebook jail for, for things that I've said, which were true, uh, by the way. And, uh, even for some of my opinions that I wrote out there. Uh, most, mostly because some of these idiots out there on the left uh, will report my uh, post or whatever uh, or my comment, and that'll get me pulled off. So, you know, there's that. Uh, certainly the tube of you uh, screws around with stuff, all right? But I don't do enough on the tube of you uh, to worry about that. Um, but, you know, look, <clears throat> either way, Uh, The episodes out there that I think are worth listening to while I'm gone are California Corruption and Criminal Enterprises, which is episode 26, and uh, Schools, Stanley County, and the Spirit of America, which is episode 25. So uh, if you haven't listened to them, uh, give those two latest episodes a shot, okay? They're really good. Um, You know, I I put a lot of time into those two, and uh, I think they're really good, so I think you'll enjoy them. So, what are we talking about here? Uh, The latest Trump indictment down in Fulton County, Georgia, where the DA in that county, Fonnie Willis, uh, has seemed to bank her political career on charges against Donald Trump pertaining to the 2020 election and her assertion that he tried to illegally overturn the results of that election uh, in the country, uh, in Georgia, and in Fulton County, right? Uh. The rapid-fire headline facts are these, folks. Trump indicted on 13 charges, including solicitation of violation of oath by a public officer, conspiracy to commit forgery in the first degree, and yada, yada, yada. Okay? Former Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Kenneth Cheesebro, uh, Jeff Clark, and more were also charged. These are attorneys and chief of staffs. Okay? Uh, Trump reportedly insisted during a phone call with Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger uh, that he'd won the state of Georgia following the 2020 election. Trump and 18 other defendants have until August 25th, of course that's gone by now, uh, to surrender to Georgia Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis. Okay, those, those are the headlines. All right, so here we are, okay, once again, 
uh, if you haven't noticed. Every time we find out something about Hunter Biden and the connection to Joe Biden, all right, in, in this, in this uh, pay-to-play uh, case that Congress is investigating, uh, Trump catches another charge. Now, the revelations in the Hunter Biden case uh, brought to you by Jim Jordan and James Comer uh, have been absolutely stunning. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the latest uh, what the latest finding was uh, prior prior to Trump's indictment here in Georgia. But as soon as it came out, boom, there you go. Uh, Trump catches another charge. Now, I'll tell you what I I'll, I'll tell you that I think that the left has planned the, the timing of all this all along. OK, I mean, it's kind of weird that they that that Fonnie Willis waited how many years? two years or something like that, or 30 months or something like that to do all this. But I, I, I think the left and Jack Smith, Fonnie Willis, and others have planned this all along, and they're, do, and they're working in concert. Uh, and in fact, there are stories that are coming to light now that suggests that there are concerns that Fonnie Willis was cooperating and working in concert with the federal government, okay, with the DOJ. The Republican-led House Judiciary Committee, chaired by Jim Jordan, sent a letter to Willis on Thursday. This would, The Thursday passed. That would have been, what, the 26th? No. That would have been the 24th. Okay? Uh, asking whether she communicated or coordinated with the Justice Department, who's indicted Trump twice on two separate cases, uh, or used federal dollars to complete her investigation that culminated in the fourth indictment of Trump. Of course, she refused to answer that question to date, okay, but who knows? She might. Uh, certainly, uh, she may have... Wow, did you hear that? There's some thunder going on out here. Wow. She refused to answer that question, okay, but, uh, but, but Jordan has given Fonnie Willis uh, a deadline of September 7th to hand over any documents or communication related to her request, okay, or related to their request. The Fulton County DA's office, of course, declined to comment on this, but Willis has previously denied that she coordinated with special counsel Jack Smith's office and has consistently defended her investigation against accusations that it was politically motivated. Well, (laughs) you know it was politically motivated. Jesus, she campaigned on getting Trump, Okay, that was her campaign platform. She campaigned on getting Trump. Of course it's political. Jesus, they think we're dumb? You know, uh, I believe she coordinated with all of these leftists out there to get Trump. Okay, and the indictment, uh, the resolve to make the indictment was hatched before even the grand jury was selected. That's what I believe that that even before the grand jury was there, I believe that this was already set up. Okay, I mean, hell, the 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 damn indictment itself was put out online on the Fulton County DA's website before the grand jury had voted on it. Now, that's an that's an egregious offense, folks. And once again, those who are complicit in the offense or those working under the rogue offenders, you know, they play stupid. Okay, because they think we're stupid. All right. When the charges were posted in advance of the actual vote by the grand jury, and as soon as, you know, the DA's office realized that they put it out there, they took it off the site, 
okay? And then tried to tell everyone that it was a fictitious document. Well, it turns out that wasn't true at all. I mean, son of a bitch. It was on their website. Do you think we're dumb? The, the, the indictment that we have now and the thing that they had put out online in advance of the vote, they're identical, folks. Okay? So, that, so, so you know, <clears throat> the fictitious document claim wasn't true. All right? Everybody figured that out. All right? So then they throw a clerk under the bus. Okay? And the clerk seemingly, willingly, lays down in front of the bus and lets it flatten her ass. Okay? But nobody's buying it. Okay, um, in an article that I got from uh, off of Fox News, Georgia court clerk admits mishap behind fictitious Trump indictment. She claims I am human. Well, son of you know, Shay Alexander uh, claimed that she had hit save on the indictment, uh, but it it went to the press queue. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, if you, were, if you were hitting save on this indictment, all right, and it went to the press queue, all right, that means it was already, I mean, it was already formed. <clears throat> it was already made up. It was already finalized, all right, ready to go out before the grand jury voted on it. They think we're dumb. In this article here written by Brandon Gillespie at Fox News, uh, the timing of Trump indictments. Hunter Biden revelations raises eyebrows. Is this a coincidence? The Fulton County uh, Clerk of Court's office is now admitting that it messed up when it posted an indictment against former President Donald Trump on Monday before a grand jury voted to hand up uh, an indictment with official charges against him and 18 others. Speaking with local outlet WSB-TV on Wednesday, Fulton County Clerk of Superior and Magistrate Courts, Shay Alexander, said she made the mistake while under pressure to ensure the process surrounding the indictments went smoothly. On Monday afternoon, the Fulton County Court's website posted a document that listed the same charges included in the indictment released late Monday night, which included charges of violating the Georgia RICO Act, okay, solicitation of violation of oath by a public officer, conspiracy to commit filing false documents, and, and more, okay? Reuters first reported on the document before the Fulton County Court removed it from the website and released a statement blasting the document as fictitious and warning the media that documents that do not bear an official case number, filing date, and the name of the clerk of courts in concert are not considered official filings and should not be treated as such. Well, I had all those things. Shea Alexander uh, claimed, I am human explaining that she wanted to get the documents out to the public quickly, and that's how the mishap happened. Yeah, quickly. Like before the, before the grand jury had a chance to vote on whether or not they were going to indict. Alexander said that she had no dog in this fight, responding to the criticism from some that District Attorney Fonnie Willis indictments were political in nature. I did a work sample in the system, and when I hit save, it went to the press queue. Well, that, that dog don't hunt. Okay, what she didn't tell you in in any of this was that the indictment from the grand jury was posted before the grand jury voted on whether to certify the indictment. Uh, They think we're dumb. They think we're dumb, folks. All right. Like I said, this thing has been in the works and that document. I mean, it was it was cut and paste. You know what I mean? Plug and play. 
They already had this thing figured out before the grand jury even had a chance to sit down. And you know this is the case because as soon as it happened, they're calling it a fictitious document? Nah, they were identical, folks. And, and that's been reported on. That's why they had to come out with this story about Shea Alexander, uh, you know, hitting the uh, press queue. Well, you know, <laughs> it's my bad. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Yeah, well, the document was already made up. It was ready to be sent out. All right? You might have you made a mistake, lady, but it was already, I mean, it was, it was signed and sealed. It was ready to go before the grand jury voted to indict. This thing's been in play for a long time, folks. So this whole thing, okay, is a clear demonstration of the weaponized two-standard system of justice that we have in this country right now. And people see it for what it is. The people have known it since the Russian collusion thing and every accusation from the left since 2016. I'm going to tell you, the left is desperate here okay they're desperate to keep trump out of the white house so they throw all these indictments at the man okay all working in concert by the way to tie him up in court and to bleed him financially and everything else during the campaign season and if if just one of these charges stick well then they can make the they can make the case that trump can't run for office and if they can if they can get the guy into the prison system Well, that's what they'd love to see happen, right? You know, Trump spending the rest of his life in prison, far from their chokehold on power in this country. They'd love that. So, what are the charges that they hope are going to bury Trump? Well, you you know, you've got all these indictments that were orchestrated and launched in concert, okay? Uh, You got the classified documents case uh, out of Mar-a-Lago, Uh, These are 37 charges, including 31 counts of violations of the Espionage Act of 1917 uh, as part of special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into Trump's handling of classified documents from his time in the White House. Well, it's actually his time after the White House, right? Uh, (laughs) Stupid. Uh, That one's kind of that fire has kind of gone out, although they're going to keep going with it. But but that fire's kind of gotten out, uh, gone out. Uh, precisely because the people know that Hillary Clinton is uh, guilty of the same charge. And so is Joe Biden, by the way. Uh, You got the January 6th indictments. You got the New York falsification of business records. Okay. And then you have the Fulton County, Georgia, Rico case uh, charges that, in essence, charges Trump with attempting to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia and, and, and in the country. Okay. Now, Out of all these indictments, January 6th in Georgia are, in my opinion, uh, they're simultaneously the most important charges that we have out of all these indictments, but also the biggest pile of bullshit that this justice system has shoveled, okay, to date, all right? Now, you'll remember that the left has accused Trump of mounting an insurrection and engaging in an insurrection, okay? You had the whole January 6th committee, uh, you know, base that whole hearing on, on those kind of charges. You know, I get, this, I, get, I get this dumb shit all the time from the leftists, okay, on the book of face. He, he mounted an insurrection, okay? He ordered his people to go and, and, and try to overturn an election, yada, 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 right? But, uh, but here, let me, let me read you the charges 
that are levied against Trump regarding January 6th. Now, this is uh, United States uh, versus Donald Trump, okay? You got count one, um, conspiracy to defraud the United States. You got count two, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Count three, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And count four, conspiracy against rights. Here's, here's what they assert in this charge or in this indictment. The defendant, Donald J. Trump, was the 45th president of the United States and a candidate for re-election in 2020. The defendant lost the 2020 presidential election. Despite having lost, the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following an election day, on November 3rd, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome-determinative fraud in the election and that he'd actually won. These claims were false, and the defendant knew that they were false. Oh, really? You know this? Uh, but the defendant repeated and widely disseminated them anyway, these lies, to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, create an, an, an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger, and erode public faith in the administration of the election. The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states or filing lawsuits challenging the ballots and procedures. Indeed, in many cases, the defendant did pursue these methods of contesting the election results. His efforts to change the outcome in any state through recounts, audits, or legal challenges were uniformly unsuccessful. Well, we, we all know why they were unsuccessful. I, I would love to be able to get into the weeds with this. We, we know about the compromised judiciary in a lot of these places. Okay. We know that real audits did not take place. We knew that legislative processes uh, as they relate to uh, elections and how elections are conducted in certain states were completely neglected or disregarded. We know that there was, we, we could see it, especially in places like Michigan. But anyway, uh, moving right along here. Shortly after election day, the defendant also pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. In doing so, the defendant perpetrated three criminal conspiracies conspiracies he didn't actually do anything but he 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 conspired to do these things <laughs> uh, a conspiracy to defraud the united states by using dishonesty fraud and deceit to impair obstruct and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected counted and certified by the federal government in violation of 18 u.s code 371 this is this is describing the challenging of the results of an election, which in paragraph three, uh, they say he has a right to. A conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th congressional proceeding at which the collected results of the presidential election are counted and certified. This is the certification proceeding in violation of 18 U.S. Code 1512. He didn't try to impede anything. I think that what they're trying to say here is is that through the riot, right? His, they don't outright say uh, insurrection, but I think that's what they're kind of alluding to here. 
And then a conspiracy against the right to vote and to have one's vote counted in violation of 18 U.S. Code 241. Well, he was challenging a lot of these ballots. Okay, you had states to include, you know, places like Georgia where they were counting and recounting. Well, you can count and recount uh, fraudulent ballots or invalid ballots and your count will always be the same. Right. If you don't look at the ballots, if you don't challenge you know, uh, some of these ballots that had come in in the dead of night, all right, uh, that did not meet the criteria for valid uh, ballot submissions, well, you're, you're always going to get the same numbers at the end, right? So that's what he was challenging. Uh, it goes on to say, each of these conspiracies, which built on the widespread mistrust the defendant was creating through pervasive and destabilizing lies about election fraud, uh, of, of, you know, they say that he has a right, like every American, to even lie about things. All right. The left does it all the time. All right. It's called the First Amendment. All right. It, they say that it targeted a bedrock function of the United States federal government, the nation's process of collecting, counting and certifying the results of the presidential election. Now, in paragraph three, like I said, they say that he has a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative fraud during the election and that he had won the election. But here they say that uh, this conspiracy with his legal teams and and other advisors at the White House, uh, (laughs) that they were building on a widespread mistrust uh, in the public And that the defendant, Donald J. Trump, was creating uh, an atmosphere of destabilization, okay, Uh, you you know, with his lies about election fraud. They admit that he has the right to say things and to make allegations and assertions, but then says uh, later in this indictment that they're going to charge him with a conspiracy to exercise his First Amendment right and his right as, as, as a candidate uh, to challenge an election, that his destabilizing lies, so-called, targeted a bedrock function of the United States federal government, and, that, and that's a crime, right? The allegations contained in paragraphs one through four of this indictment are uh, realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. It's all bullshit, folks. You know it's bullshit. And you'll notice that they didn't charge him with insurrection, by the way, okay? What, what's an insurrection? Uh, I, I constantly have to put this, in, this, this definition of insurrection into context for those of you on the left uh, because you're so damn attached to the idea that that's what he did. Uh, insurrection is an organized and usually violent act of revolt or rebellion against an established government or governing authority of a nation state or other political entity by a group of citizens or subjects. Also, any act of engaging in such a revolt, an insurrection may facilitate or bring about a revolution, which is a radical change in the form of government or political system of a state, and it may be initiated or provoked by an act of sedition, which is an incitement to revolt or rebellion. Now, that's the assertion that the leftists make, that the Democrats make. The assertion by leftists everywhere uh, is that Trump told his supporters to go to the Capitol and prevent the peaceful transition of power as a result of the election and to install himself as president through fraudulent means, okay? Uh, 
which is, of course, not the case, right? Um, you know, a lot of leftists, you know, at the very least, accuse Trump of inciting a riot, okay, which is also not true, all right? But this is, this is essentially, without saying the word insurrection, this is what these charges are alluding to, okay, that, that Trump... <laughs> That Trump, although he was exercising his right to challenge an election, and although he was engaging in his First Amendment right to to say what he thought about the election, the the left is saying, and this the the the, the federal government is saying that no, you knew better, you know, uh, you knew you lost, and still you tried to change the outcome of an election by exercising your First Amendment right and your right to challenge an election. That's basically what what this thing is saying. But like I said, you know, a, a lot on the left are, are, are at least accusing Trump of inciting a riot, which was meant to uh, impede the certification of electors after the election. OK, which which, like I said, I can't say this enough. You're allowed to you're allowed to challenge an election and you're allowed to put together an alternative slate of electors. But no, the left wants to say, you know, he, he incited a riot so that they could overturn the election. Well, that, that dog don't hunt. A lot of these leftists say that, uh, that what Trump said uh, on January 6th is actually sedition, which I don't see that anywhere in this indictment. But uh, sedition, uh, insurrection, inciting or incitement, uh, the, these are the sorts of things that they're they're trying to get to here, all right? That, that's what a lot of them assert took place. Now, like I said, that dog don't hunt, okay? So what is sedition, right? It's conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state, okay? Now, that's not what the president was doing at all on January 6th. What he did do is say that he knew that people were going to the Capitol to protest what millions of Americans believed was a fraudulent attempt uh, by way of basically predetermined electors as a result of rushed less than thorough counts and validation of ballots by way of fraudulent and irregular practices of elections in the contested states, to include Georgia, to install Joe Biden as president. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want. But I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Today, we will see whether Republicans stand strong for integrity of our elections, but whether or not they stand strong for our country, our country. And this is what the leftists say is sedition, incitement and insurrection these are specific terms that i don't see in this indictment all right despite the fact 
then we have actual evidence of Democrats who've actually used verbiage far worse and would seem to fall under these same kind of accusations that they levy at Trump. Now, the indictment goes on to say, the defendant's conspiracy to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function through dishonesty, fraud, and deceit included the following manner and means. The defendant and co-conspirators used knowingly false claims of election fraud to get state legislators and election officials to subvert the legitimate election results and change electoral votes for the defendant's opponent, Joseph R. Biden Jr., to electoral votes for the defendant, Donald J. Trump. That is, on the pretext of baseless fraud claims... The defendant pushed officials in certain states to ignore the popular vote, disenfranchise millions of voters, dismiss legitimate electors, and ultimately cause the ascertainment of and voting by illegitimate electors in favor of the defendant. That the defendant, Donald J. Trump, and co-conspirators organized fraudulent slates of electors in seven targeted states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin attempting to mimic the procedures that the legitimate electors were supposed to follow under the Constitution and other federal and state laws. This included causing the fraudulent electors to meet on the day appointed by federal law on which legitimate electors were to gather and cast their votes, cast fraudulent votes for the defendant, and sign certificates falsely representing that they were legitimate electors. Some fraudulent electors were tricked into participating based on the understanding that their votes would be used only if the defendant succeeded in outcome-determinative lawsuits within their states, which the defendant never did. The defendant and co-conspirators then caused these fraudulent electors to transmit their false certificates to the vice president and other government officials to be counted at the certification proceeding on January 6th. The defendant and co-conspirators attempted to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the January 6th certification proceeding to fraudulently alter the election results. First, using knowingly false claims of election fraud. Hmm, knowingly. He knew that what he was saying was false. No. And, 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 And you'll understand why that's bullshit here in a little bit. Uh, First, using knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to convince the vice president to use the defendant's fraudulent electors, reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than counting them. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to get the electoral, uh, uh, send the, the electoral votes to state legislatures so that they could review the votes. When that failed, on the morning of January 6th, the defendant and co-conspirators repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud. You know, because they they should have known better, right? Because the Democrats say that what he said was fraudulent and a lie. They say that he lost the election. So he should have known better, right? The defendant and co-conspirators falsely told them that the vice president had the authority uh, to alter the election results, okay? This is is what they're saying that he told the people and directed them to the Capitol to obstruct the certification proceeding and exert pressure on the vice president to take fraudulent actions he had previously refused. 
after it became public on the afternoon of January 6th that the vice president wouldn't fraudulently alter the election results, a large and angry crowd, including many individuals whom the defendant had deceived into believing the vice president could and might change the election results, violently attacked the Capitol and halted the proceeding. As violence ensued, the defendant and co-conspirators exploited the disruption by redoubling efforts to levy false claims of election fraud and convince members of Congress to further delay the certification based on those claims. Now, everybody knows that what happened on January 6th was a riot, okay? Everybody knows that uh, there's some serious questions about who incited the riot, okay? Uh, The left say that Trump did it. Right. But we've seen videos uh, specifically with a guy named Ray Epps inciting people to break through barricades at the Capitol. We see Capitol Police waving people in, holding open doors so that people can get into the Capitol. We also see many and in in some cases confirmed uh, many people who were Antifa connected or were members of Antifa. The people scaling the walls and busting down the door, right? The windows and all that. Dressed, acted, behaved just like Antifa. Oh, and and, but Trump's the one that that incited the riot, okay? Incited an insurrection, sedition. And he did so by basically telling lies, as the government puts it, as the DOJ puts it. You know, because he he conspired to defraud the American people and used rhetoric to affect all of this. And by by the DOJ's accusation uh, that he did this knowingly, he knowingly did all these things because he knew that he lost an election because the people that the left agreed with said so. And some rhinos, some anti-Trumpers. So everything Trump did was a crime because he dared challenge the election. And everything he said was a crime. And they connect what he said to the rioters of January 6th. And that's really what it comes down to here. Well, I'm going to tell you, if that's the case, if Trump, if what Trump said, and you've already heard what he said, if, if what he said was uh, geared toward inciting people to go and overturn an election to... Uh, start an insurrection to overturn the government, okay, uh, then, shit, every Democrat who ever challenged the uh, 2016 election and publicly accused Trump of having been, you know, a Russian plant, right, and having stolen the election and publicly made statements to the people that this was the case is guilty of a crime. And yet Donald Trump is the only one charged with these kind of crimes in an article that I found online from daily signal. Uh, it's, it's titled how Democrats, uh, attempted a 2016 electoral college coup. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it starts out, it's written by Fred Lucas. Uh, it starts out many on the left were indignant when the Trump campaign legal team tried to convince legislatures in several battleground States to appoint a new slate of electors after asserting election irregularities. Sound familiar? However, four years ago, many Democrats, liberal activists, and Hollywood stars tried to pressure electors to reverse the results of the November 2016 election. Does that sound familiar? 
Representative Jim Himes, a Democrat out of Connecticut, framed altering the electoral college vote as a way to prevent a, quote, soft Russian takeover of the United States. He's quoted as saying, this man is not only unqualified to be president, he's a danger to the public. I do think the Electoral College should choose someone other than Donald Trump to be president. That will lead to a fascinating legal issue, but I would rather have a legal issue, a complicated legal problem, than to find out that the White House was now the Kremlin's chief ally. Christine Pelosi, a California elector and daughter of House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi, took up the mantle for a potential Electoral College coup. Christine Pelosi uh, led a letter signed by 53 other electors, including one rogue Republican from Texas, addressed to the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, requesting the intelligence community provide a briefing on Russian interference for the full Electoral College before it convened in 50 state capitals. What's that sound like? Sounds like they tried to subvert the Electoral College. She's quoted as saying, we don't understand our sole function to be Uh, to convene in mid-December, several weeks after Election Day, and summarily cast our votes. To the contrary, the Constitution envisions the Electoral College as a deliberative body that plays a critical role in our system of government, ensuring that the American people elect a president who is constitutionally qualified and fit to serve. That's actually in the letter. That's That's not her statement. As the chairwoman of the California Democratic Party Women's Caucus, Christine Pelosi had been thoroughly convinced that this would be her opportunity to cast a vote for the first woman president of the United States. Who was it? That was Hillary Clinton. To that end, she petitioned to be an elector. Despite the letter extolling the deliberative role of the Electoral College, she said in an interview with the left-wing Democracy Now! broadcast that she would prefer to scrap the Electoral College. She's quoted as saying, I'm a member of the Electoral College who would like to see the end of the Electoral College. But as long as you charge me to do a job as an elector, I'm going to do it with agency and with attention. And right now, I'd like to pay attention to the evidence. What evidence? The evidence that they all said that, that Donald Trump was a Russian agent? Well, we all know that's a lie, and they knew it was a lie. Then there's this group calling themselves the Hamilton Electors, named for Alexander Hamilton. Uh, And he said that the Electoral College existed to ensure the office of the president will never fall to the lot of any man who is not in an eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications to be president. They first sought the near unattainable goal of uniting 135 Republicans and 135 Democrats behind a compromised Republican, John Kasich, or maybe Mitt Romney. A slightly more realistic alternative was to convince 37 Republican electors to stray from Trump, bringing his total below the needed 270 electoral votes. That would send the election to the House of Representatives. And ultimately, I think this was what they were trying to do was to uh, send the issue back to the states um, so that they could figure out what the heck was going on. Because it, ultimately, what you have here is you have, you have people who have vested interests in keeping Trump out of the White House, okay? And they're all telling Trump that he lost. And then on the other side of the fence, you have his campaign team, his legal advisors, uh, and other constitutionalists, 
uh, that say that that the the vote, the election, uh, is in question because of the allegations or or the um, the appearance of fraud in these contested states, which included Georgia, by the way. So I I think that's what ultimately they were trying to do. You know, for me, what it gets down to is this. Uh, Trump had the audacity to challenge an election, one that he thought and, you know, roughly 75 million or more Americans thought uh, was fraudulent. Okay, that was uh, that had irregularities uh, and in many cases, uh, fraud and criminality. And how dare Donald Trump challenge the election? Well, it's literally the very same thing that Democrats have done uh, and specifically have done to Donald Trump since Donald Trump ran for president since 2016. We see the same behavior and the rhetoric and the challenges by Democrats, despite the fact that they knew they lost an election. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stacey Abrams, okay? To this day, she doesn't concede that she lost the uh, governor's race in Georgia. Oh, but Trump tried, tried to overturn an election, folks. He tried to overturn an election by doing the very same thing that Democrats have been doing since 2016. You claim that it's wrong to object to the certification of election results. You, along with your allies in the media, attempted to cancel and censor members of this chamber who voiced concerns and objected to certification. Manager Raskin, you'd been in Congress only three days when you objected in 2017. It's one of the first things you did when you got here. I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified. Is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? It is in writing, Mr. President. Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yet, Mr. President. In that case, the objection cannot be entertained. Mr. President, I object to the certificate from the state of Georgia on the grounds that the electoral votes were not... There's no debate. I object to a certificate uh, from the state of North Carolina based on violations of the Voting Rights no Act. Debate. And There's no debate by in the, the joint government. session. And I object because people are horrified by the overwhelming evidence. Section 18, Title III of the United States Code prohibits debate. Um, I object. I've objected to the counting of the electoral votes of the state of Ohio. I object to the certificate from the state of Alabama. The electors were not lawfully certified. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina because of the massive voter suppression and the closing of voting polling booths. There is no debate. There is no debate. There is no debate. And the massive voter suppression that occurred. The gentleman was suspended. I have an objection to the electoral votes. The objection is in writing, and I don't care that it is not it is not signed by a member of the Senate. I do not wish to debate. I wish to ask, is there one United States senator who will join me in this letter? There is no debate. The uh, objection is, is signed by a member of the House, but not yet by a member of the Senate. Well, it is over. Uh, and when the House managers realized that the president's actual words could not have incited the riot, as you alleged in your article of impeachment, you attempted to pivot. You said that raising the issue of election security and casting doubt on the propriety of our elections was dangerous. One of the House managers, Mr. Cicilline, told you that this is not about the words Mr. Trump used in isolation. Rather, it is about 
the big lie, the claim that the election was stolen. The House managers told you that it's the big lie that incited the riot, and that the big lie was President Trump's claim that the election was not a fair election, or that the election was stolen. Claiming an election was stolen, you were told, are words that are insightful to a candidate's followers and cause people to respond violently. Claiming an election was stolen, or not legitimate, is something that a candidate should never do because he or she knows, or should know, that such a claim and such words can actually incite violent insurrection, you were told. Well, it seems that the House manager's position must be actually a bit narrower than that. The House manager's position really is that when Republican candidates for office claim an election is stolen or that the winner is illegitimate, it constitutes inciting an insurrection, and the candidate should know it. But Democratic Party candidates for public elective office are perfectly entitled to claim the election was stolen or that the winner is illegitimate or to make any other outrageous claim they can. It is their absolute right to do so. And it is their absolute right to do so, irrespective of whether there's any evidence to support the claim. Democratic candidates can claim that an election was stolen because of Russian collusion or without any explanation at all. And that is perfectly okay and is in no way incitement to an insurrection. And somehow, when Democratic candidates publicly decry an election as stolen or illegitimate, it's never a big lie. You've been doing it for years. But can you imagine telling your supporters that the only way you could possibly lose is if an American election was rigged and stolen from you? And ask yourself, whether you've ever seen anyone at any level of government make the same claim about their own election. If Stacey Abrams doesn't win in Georgia, they stole it. It's clear. It's clear. And I would say, I say that publicly, it's clear. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. He knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. Votes remain to be counted. There are voices that were waiting to be heard. And I will not concede. Respect, and I respect where you're coming from, and I respect the, the issues that you're raising. You're not answering the question. Do you think it I was... Am, I, no, do, I, I, what I not it, do. You're not using the word legitimate. There are still legitimate concerns over the integrity of our elections and of ensuring the principle of one person, one vote. I agree with tens of millions of Americans who are very worried that when they cast the ballot on an electronic voting machine, that there is no paper trail to record that vote. But constantly shifting vote tallies in Ohio and malfunctioning electronic machines which may not have paper receipts, have led to additional loss of confidence by the public. This is their only opportunity to have this debate while the country is listening, and it is appropriate to do so. So you see, folks, what they accuse Donald Trump of doing, they themselves have done or are, are doing currently. And the fact that Donald Trump had the audacity to challenge the election of 2020 uh, this is why they now bring the full power of the DOJ, the federal government. Uh, this is why they can empower state DAs and county DAs. 
to charge Donald Trump with all these conspiracy charges to overturn an election. Okay, uh, he wouldn't concede the election uh, because, as Hillary Clinton claimed, and Stacey Abrams still claims, and a host of Democrats claim, uh, you know the usual suspects. Okay, uh, Donald Trump believes that there was significant fraud during this election of 2020. Okay. And no one was willing to entertain the allegations or the evidence in a court of law. Okay. Uh, No one was willing to go beyond a simple recounting of the ballots where there was a legitimate question uh, pertaining to the validity of the ballots, you know, where there were legitimate concerns about where those ballots came from. Trump and his campaign team did everything they could to challenge the results of this election, to include an alternate slate of electors to be submitted, okay, prior to Inauguration Day, okay, uh, as the Democrats had tried to do in the past, okay? Now, some people claim that this is a violation of the 12th Amendment, okay, you know, because there's not anything in there that addresses alternate electors, okay? Uh, the only hard date uh, regarding the presidency, okay, beginning is on January 20th, okay, Inauguration Day. All right, December 14th is the other hard date uh, that I believe is when the electors have to be selected, okay? So between December 14th and January 20th, there's some room for contestation, according to some people like Stephen Miller, who was a senior advisor to the Trump campaign, Okay, so, you know, like I said, uh, Democrats have tried to do this in the past. They've contested. They've not conceded. They've done everything they could to overturn an election. Okay, Uh, and now Trump is being charged with these very same things. Okay, so Trump doesn't concede. All right. And, and, And all the Democrats lose their minds. Okay, Trump challenges everything. Uh, very publicly, I might add, okay? He didn't do anything to include the alternate slate of electors. He didn't do anything in darkness, folks, okay? Everybody knew what he was doing every step of the way. I mean, he, he announced it, <laughs> you know? It wasn't like he was trying to do anything under the table, all right? But, uh, you, know, this, this, the, you know, the left has lost their minds over this. Uh, so what happens, if Trump were actually able to contest the results of the 2020 election at the time, okay? Uh, well, here might be an answer as to, as to what happens. If, if, the, if the Constitution isn't as articulate as we'd like it to be uh, with regard to uh, contestation and alternate electors and, and what happens if, if there isn't a, a clear winner, in a presidential election, this here might be an answer. What happens if President Donald Trump does not concede the election? Mm-hmm. I talked about it in a previous video, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut right to the chase. It's happened two times in history. It happened in 1800, it's happened in 1824. And if you'll remember, Hillary Clinton told Joe Biden not to concede. You remember that? Before this election, she told him, do not concede. You know why she told him that? I hate to say it, smart woman. She knows the law. But most Americans don't. Most of you watching me don't know it. I didn't know it. 
But now I do, and knowledge is power. And I promise you, Donald Trump knows what I'm fixing to tell you. So do all of his lawyers. Okay, so here's what happens. Real, real simple. The most powerful thing that keeps the peace in the United States of America is not required by law. It's just a custom. And um, it's called a concession speech. We've been doing it for a long time, but there's no law that requires a concession speech. However, it does aid in the peaceful transfer of power. So normally, when a presidential candidate is in a fight for the presidency, it's a powerful position. It's like a throne, a king fighting for his throne. He has supporters, and those supporters are literally ready to fight, if you will, for their guy. Hey, that's just the way it works, folks. It's been that way since the dawn of time. At the moment of the concession speech is when those people that support this guy are pretty much given the green light to simmer down, go back home. It's all over. It's a surrender. It's a white flag of surrender. But it is not required in the Constitution. It's simply a custom. It's a wonderful custom. Once a president concedes, the battle is over. There's no more legal fighting. There's nothing. Everything after that just sort of happens with a rubber stamp. Then the electors get together. They cast their votes in Washington, D.C. The president is officially elected and the votes are certified. And that certification gives that man the presidency. But more importantly, his concession speech from the opponent is what gives him legitimacy and a transfer without drama. But two times in our history, presidents did not concede the election. Why? Well, not because they were trying to be rambunctious, but just like Al Gore, they knew that something was off and they were not ready to give up a fight with a margin less than 1% in all the battleground states. According to the law, Georgia is going to be recounted. We do not have any official result anywhere in the nation. Pennsylvania is going to be recounted. Arizona is still being counted. Nevada is going to be recounted. We have a total recount coming. Now, after that recount, the president has legal options to go to court to prove irregularity. So let's just say that none of that works and the president still will not concede the election. The Constitution, Article Amendment 12 of the United States Constitution gives you the answer of what will happen. If they cannot rule on it in the court, and he does not concede, and there's no certification of an undisputable majority, then we go to the House of Representatives. When we get to the House of Representatives, there are 475 members of that House. The election is null and void at that point. It's like it never happened. The numbers do not matter any longer. This has happened twice in history. At that moment, the election becomes obsolete, and now the president will be elected by the Congress.
the House of Representatives. Now immediately that, that strikes fear in the heart of a conservative because guess who controls the House? The Democrats. But not so fast. The Constitution goes on to say in that article that each state in the Congress gets one vote. Not each representative. Each state gets one vote for the president. Well, there are 50 states in the House. Of those 50, 37 are Republican. At that moment, a Republican Congress will officially, constitutionally vote in the next president. Why do you think Donald Trump has not conceded? He knows these things that I'm telling you. He understands that there was illegitimate votes cast. He understands that votes are still going on. Now, he may get tired of the fight. I don't know. I don't think he is, though. But he does have a constitutional remedy to his dilemma. This is going to be interesting to watch. But remember, Hillary Clinton told Joe Biden, do not concede no matter what. Now, why did she tell him that? Because she knows what I'm telling you. And so... Joe Biden has won a few battleground states with less than 1%. Those are automatic recounts. We will not have a winner till we have a certification. If we can't get a certification that's not contested in the courts, it will go to the House of Representatives just before Inauguration Day. Now you might know why the Panther is getting real quiet in the background, waiting for the attack. I'm not saying that's how it's going to go, but the Constitution foresaw this. The Constitution made a way for an illegitimate election to be overturned in the House of Representatives. Now, as I indicated earlier, and as was mentioned in the articles that I provided, this is what Trump was trying to do, folks. Okay? He never got that far. And why, why was that? Well, from my, from my perspective and from a lot of people's perspective... Uh, he didn't get that far because Mike Pence. Uh, but that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole other discussion, folks. Okay, uh, you know, did he have the constitutional right to send it back to the states and then have it go on to the House of Representatives? The Constitution seems to be clear on what happens if there's no concession. All right, if he doesn't concede. But what should have been Mike Pence's role in all of this? You know, my opinion is. Uh, you know, the fix was in, okay? From the ground up to the vice president, uh, the fix was in. Uh, the vice president could have pumped the brakes on this whole thing, examined the 12th Amendment and that whole process, and saved us a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of grief. But like I said, uh, anti-Trump rhinos, the Democrat Party, uh, and the failure of the courts to take the cases— Okay, even if you think that the voting machines were legit uh, and and there's plenty of testimony that they might not have been. Okay, Uh, but even if you think there that those were okay, even if you think that there weren't mystery ballots uh, that were cast and that arrived out of thin air. Okay, even if you think that 81 million people voted for a guy who never left the basement. 
Okay, even if you think that Biden got more votes than Obama did during that election. Okay, the 12th Amendment gives one the right to not concede and challenge the election to the point of the 12th Amendment kicking in. The fix was in, folks. It was it, it, the, the fix against Trump was in. Okay, they would never allow the 12th Amendment to kick in because the Republicans would have awarded Trump the presidency. And so they installed the brain dead figure that we have now. Okay, and here we are today, right? The DNC won't even agree to having a debate on the presidential nominee stage, nor will they have a debate on the nominee debate stage, the, the, the primary debate stage. Okay, the presidential debate stage, because they know that Biden's gone. Okay, and the people actually running the country these days, they know the people have wised up about this whole thing. And Donald Trump would cream Biden in any debate and win the election. This is why they have brought all this against Trump to keep him out of it. Okay, and and hopefully to put him in jail for the rest of his life for doing what every Democrat has done since forever. This is, this is a travesty not only of our justice system in this country with regard to what they're doing to Trump, okay? But it's, it's, it's a disgrace what they're doing because of why they're doing it, okay? You understand me? It's a disgrace. You're looking at the very real possibility of a regime change in this country, folks. You're looking at the very real possibility of a regime change in this country to one-party rule, by way of weaponization of agencies within the government, uh, by way of, oh, uh, election laws that are neglected or outright just ignored. You're looking at the very real possibility of a regime change in this country. And the Democrats, in their their never-ending quest for complete control over everyone's lives, will do anything and everything to make sure that their mechanisms and their machines are still in place and that they're the ones that are in control, okay? That's why they've, they've brought the big guns out. They brought every gun out against Donald Trump, okay? You know, the machines are still in place. The mechanisms are still in place here in this country, all right? But the left has weaponized it, the whole thing, against one man who's vowed to dismantle the deep state within our government, And if they can bury Donald Trump for trying, then they will already have subjugated you and your vote. Now, the Georgia charges, pretty much the same as the D.C. charges, except that these are state charges. And uh, and they include the unique charge of RICO statutes in Georgia. In the next segment, we're going to touch on those charges and the RICO statute uh, and the irony of it all. And you know what I say about irony, folks. (laughs) irony can be so so damned ironic sometimes right all right uh i'm gonna take a little break and uh on the other side of whatever it is we'll talk about it all right so don't go away folks uh jesus i'm already two minutes and or uh, two hours and 20 minutes into the whole thing i really thought that this was going to be a shorter one (laughs) turns out uh not so much all right i'm gonna try and wrap it up here real quick folks all right so uh, i'll see you on the other side of the break all right and that's a booyah 
Friday, 12-year-old named Jaden from Colorado Springs was told he could not wear his backpack at his school because, oh no, it had the Gadsden flag patch on it. And that's, that is, well, listen, because these teachers say that has ties to slavery, so it's not allowed, watch. Mm. Thank you. Do they know what the Gadsden flag is? That it's a historical flag. So there, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason we do not want the flag that way, is due to its origins with origins. slavery and with slavery. slavery. It's origins with slavery. It take it off. Yes. It has Go nothing again. to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like that wasn't. So I am here to I am here to enforce the policy that was provided by the district. I am here to enforce the policy that was provided by the district. Well, what you see from these school districts, and this is actually one of the first things that caught my attention that really propelled me into this fight, is they come up with these policies and they say, you know, no hateful symbols, no offensive symbols. Well, who's deeming what offensive? Exactly. Who, is, who is making that decision? What, why is every single thing in history racist to these people? And that's the problem. When you allow them to control these policies and these decisions and what is and what is not offensive, you're infringing on free speech rights and you're really trying to memory hole American history. A school punished a 12-year-old boy, Jaden, for wearing a backpack with the Gadsden flag patched on it. He was removed from the class and told he could not return with it because he'd expose other children to it, all because of its origins with slavery. How are the kids treating you? How did they treat you? How are they treating you now? Okay, so um, before it went viral, um, they, I, uh, my friends kind of deserted me or uh, it was just hard. I mean, I sat alone, which is weird. I normally sat with friends, but they weren't there at the table. But after it went viral, um, yeah, kids are putting don't tread on me um, printed papers on their walkers. I'm definitely popular now. The teachers, they're definitely not so happy with me. Cause, <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing because well, welcome to my world. Welcome to our world. If you, if you believe in the Constitution, if you're a patriot, if you love the country, there are a lot of administrators, a lot of school people, a lot of uh, government people who don't like what we're all about. Eden, you did a great job with your son, Jane. Jane, let me tell. Jane, let me tell you something. You're a great kid. You're a cool kid. You are my friend. You can tell all those people who didn't want to eat lunch with you that you've been on TV and you'll, you'll come back and talk to us again because we, we love what you're doing. Keep a chin up and I, I love the hat, Jane. You're doing a great job. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to the last segment 
uh, of another awe-inspiring episode of The Last Stand Podcast with your less-than-humble host, you-know-who, of the you-know-who fame. (laughs) Well, it it looks like I'm going to have to uh, cut out the Georgia segment. Uh, I'm looking at the Georgia charges and rereading this thing, and uh, I want to do this right, so I'm going to need more time than I actually have right now. So we're going to make this last little bit of a segment here, uh, and I'll have to dig into Georgia later, okay, when the time comes. And it's coming, folks. I promise you that. Uh, Don't worry, dry your eyes, because it's coming. You know, I said in my last episode, you know, we got the mugshot of the century, really. The mugshot of Donald Trump, you know, after he got arrested in Georgia. Uh, And I'm telling you, folks, his poll numbers are through the roof. I mean, he's even more popular now than ever before. And don't you know it, the left and their media minions are hating life right now. The fact that he's even more popular than he than he ever was, you know, uh, and the people are wise to this tyrannical regime of Joe Biden and the department formerly known as Justice, right? Uh, you know, it, it has the Democrats and their supporters perplexed as to how he could become even more popular than he's been before. Which, of course, you know, when they get perplexed, they become uneasy, which in turn makes them desperate, which in turn makes them do even more stupid things, as if they can't get any dumber, you know. Um, but but don't worry, as bad as, as bad as it is, folks, you know, there's always worse, you know. And we haven't quite gotten to worse yet. But the mugshot, it's a great shot. It's pure defiance of tyranny and corruption. So, uh, without any further ado, uh, let's get on with it, folks. And, of course, don't you know, um... Ah... Don't you know that, um, the left is, uh, just giddy with the fact that Donald Trump got arrested in Georgia, uh... And, and got a mugshot out of the whole thing. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, they think they got this whole thing in the bag, you know. And what do they do when, when we get the mugshot and everything? Uh, do they wonder how it's gotten to this? You know, is it serious to them? Do they wonder just what the DOJ is doing in its relentless attack on Donald Trump while it lets slide the corruption in the administration and in the Democrat Party going all the way back to Hillary Clinton? Or to Obama? Do they report on the obvious two-tiered justice in this country? No. No. Hell no. What do they do? They make fun of Trump's personal information and stats related to his arrest record. Really, guys? Really? This, this is what you do? <laughs> They're going to go after his, his vital stats, right? Making fun of his hair, which is listed as strawberry blonde. Uh, his weight at 215 at six foot three, you know, they're, they're making fun of the whole, you know, the whole thing. Right. Uh, and, and basically calling bullshit, uh, on Trump's stats, right. Saying he's fat and everything else. You know, (laughs) I thought body shaming was bad. You fucking morons. You know what I mean? Uh, the left, they just make shit up as they go and they turn it against anyone that they don't like. So, you know, body shaming's bad unless you're body shaming someone like Donald Trump or a conservative. 
you know, I thought it was pretty hilarious when I caught it. You know, the likes of Rachel Maddow making fun of Trump's weight. <laughs> That's pretty rich coming from a chick that could double as Jimmy Olsen uh, at the Daily Planet in 1950. You know what I mean? Uh, and Joe Scarborough clowning Trump's stats. Uh, Scarborough's face looks like it got clocked with a flat wooden board wearing glasses. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's right. They're not even his glasses. Uh, he's such a dolt. I swear to God. But, you know, it's just another example of the hypocrisy on the left uh, and that whole thing, right? But, uh, but anyway, I just thought that was amusing uh, as I was looking at it here. What are we going to talk about? Let's see. In the last little bit here, I've got maybe a half an hour. Um, I guess I'm going to have to talk about Ukraine. Uh, what are we up to now? Like um, $150 billion now or something like that? Uh, and Biden wants more money for Ukraine? And of course, we're no closer to kicking Putin out. You know, we really fucked that up, that whole response to Russia invading Ukraine. Uh, and we've been slow walking uh, real support uh, since day one. You really got to wonder what the hell the objective is here with the Biden administration in terms of this, this war that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. You know, in the beginning, you all know uh, that I was a, uh, an avid supporter of Ukraine being free and kicking Putin out. Uh, I, was, I was all about sending over troops and uh, especially Europe's troops over there uh, to really send the message to uh, Vladimir Putin that, okay, if you're going to start doing this, uh, this is where we're going to have the fight. But of course, the response from this inept administration and uh, our feckless Pentagon, uh, you know, we kind of fucked all, all that up, you know. Um, it's about as big a fuck up as our Afghanistan withdrawal, which is, of course, the number one fuck up that, that Biden has on his record. Uh, but w w with regard to Ukraine, look, I believe in Ukraine's desire to become a true ally. And I, I want Ukraine to be free from Russian oppression. Okay. Uh, I believe that the people there want to transcend their own history, right? Or at least their recent history with regard to corruption and, and, and things like that. Uh, and I support all that. You know, I still support Ukraine fighting the shit out of Russia. But as I said before, without any real help and without any real support, uh, Russia just keeps doing what they're doing. They're going to choke Ukraine out eventually. And, and that's what it seems like, you know, what's happening now. And the billions of dollars that we're spending right now and sending over there, it, it's not doing anything. It's basically supporting a, a prolonged stalemate. And in the end, like I said, I believe that Ukraine gets choked out if we don't do something different. You know, if you've listened to uh, my episode, Ukraine and the Fight for Freedom, uh, you know why I think this way, okay? And in subsequent episodes where, where I'm like, what are we doing? But like I said, unfortunately, this administration uh, just blew the opportunity that it briefly had in the beginning. And now with Europe doing fuck all compared to the U.S., uh, we're going to spend more money billions of, of dollars on a stalemate that won't be a stalemate forever, you know? And, and now, today, uh, we're looking at Hawaii, right? At uh, Maui, Lahaina. Uh, you know, it all looks like Hiroshima 
right now, okay? Uh, and those guys in Maui and Lahaina, what, what, what do they get? They get 700 bucks per household. Meanwhile, Ukraine gets billions. It, it doesn't set right with the American people, folks. Uh, and while all this is going on, of course, the ongoing problem of the illegal aliens, right? And they're continuing to uh, cost taxpayers money while they're bitching about not being able to stay at the fucking Ritz-Carlton, okay? Uh, rising costs in every damn thing, all right, in this, in this economy that we have here. You know, like I said, this, this administration is just, it, it's just inept. I mean, it goes beyond inept. And like I said, billions of dollars going to Ukraine right now, uh, it's not sitting right with the American people. And uh, we better do something different if, if we're going to, if we're going to be able to claim some sort of victory uh, for freedom and liberty in the world, which is what we're supposed to be able to do. What else? Biden admits that the $1.7 trillion nightmare that we're paying for called the Inflation Reduction Act didn't have a whole lot to do with reducing inflation. <laughs> and then he's got the schnutz to ask for another $24 billion from the people that he's been fucking, uh, namely us, while lining his own pockets with the very countries that want us subjugated. One of them being, you know, the very country that invaded Ukraine, Russia. You know, here's the bottom line. Joe fucked Ukraine for about 10 to 20 million bucks. And then we got fucked for about 200 billion to Ukraine with no positive results. I think the people are getting pissed about it, folks. And they're getting pissed because they see Joe Biden and Hunter Biden getting millions of dollars from Ukraine and from other countries in the world, extorting money, participating in bribery, okay? But, but they see them getting all these millions, these corrupt millions, all right? And, you know, they saw Joe Biden leverage our taxpayer money uh, against Ukraine and basically coerced Ukraine into firing its prosecutor who was investigating corruption, uh, that which, le- which would lead to, to Hunter Biden, which, of course, would lead to Joe Biden. And so Joe Biden says, no, you're not going to get the billion dollars and forces Ukraine to fire that prosecutor so that Hunter Biden can remain on the board of Burisma and get paid millions. They both got paid millions. And that's what people are seeing. And that's what they're getting pissed about. Because the people of Lahaina and Maui, 700 bucks a household. And maybe a little bit more. But that's it. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, Hunter and Joe Biden and the Biden family crime syndicate, they're getting rich. And people are pissed. So let's see. What else uh, did I see in the news here? Oh, here's the, here's the thing I saw. Uh, you know what? I'm going to end it on this. Um, <laughs> this is stupid. You know, uh, America's always been the target uh, for anti-American rhetoric around the world. Um, and uh, here in the last 10 years, it's been the target of anti-American rhetoric by, by American citizens, for God's sake. But, uh, but it always kind of gets my hackles up when I read about some foreigner talking about America in, in a really bad way, you know, uh, especially with regard to our symbols of freedom. Uh, headline on this article reads, Australian girl mocks ubiquity 
of American flags, and Governor Abbott fires a forward response to it. The article reads, A woman who seemingly came from Australia went on a charade in a TikTok video decrying the ubiquity of the American flag around the United States, prompting Texas GOP Governor Greg Abbott to fire back a succinct forward response. Now, she's quoted as saying from this video, I'm just going to say it. There's too many American flags. Uh, Like they're on houses. They're on cars. Saw them on couch cushions. Like, I don't know who's making these American flags, but they'd be making a bloody fortune. And like, you're the only country I know that does this. Like, the hell? Is that a direct quote? Yeah. Jesus. Anyway, she goes on. The only time I, I think I've ever seen an Australian flag is on the Harbor Bridge, referring to the bridge in Sydney, Australia, that spans uh, Sydney Harbor from the Central Business District to the North Shore. Could not tell you what it looks like, she said. Like, I know what it's like. Blue, and it's got some stars on it, but I think I could draw the American flag from memory. Like, like I think I can make a bloody sculpture out of it. That's how many times I've seen it. It's enough. Let's pull back on it, okay? Let's stay humble, she concluded. (laughs) Uh, You can imagine how I felt when I read that. Aw, she doesn't like the fact that Americans display their American flags. Aw. Hey, uh, I'm going to need somebody to get Tom McDonald down over here. Didn't, didn't he put out that, uh, that, that music video, American Flags? Yeah. Uh, somebody get Tom down here. You know, I had a response on the book of face for this lady. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll just read it to you here. Um, I wrote, look, lady, we fly our flag because we're in love with liberty. We wear red, white, and blue, drink American principles, and then piss excellence with fireworks going boom every time we do. Now, while I did admire the, the, the Australians uh, for protesting their government's bullshit COVID camps, uh, lady, there ain't nobody making a top five song about Australia, okay? Uh, ain't nobody flying the Australian flag and saying, hey, come to Australia for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know why? Well, because you let your government run all over you, okay? You let your government do dumb shit like throw y'all into COVID camps, okay? You know, honestly, you guys are just a bunch of Canadians with a really bad accent. (laughs) Uh, Hell, that's probably an insult to a lot of Canadians, I know. I'm sorry, guys, you know, you tough truck motherfuckers that defied your fascist in charge, Justin Trudeau. Yeah, Uh, you know, folks, at least they were proud of what they stood for. They flew their flags, they defied their, their, their prime minister, Justin Trudeau, for being a fascist, you know. Uh, now, they flew their flags. They were proud of it. Uh, it's not as gorgeous as the American flag, but they're proud of it. And this lady can't even do that. She can't even be proud of her flag. So don't be coming over here whining about a practice that you and your own country can't understand, lady. We fly our flag because we love America more than you love Australia, apparently. We fly our flag because we remember what it means to us in history and what it's meant for the world. We fly our flag because against all odds and through a a revolution, it stood through the night. We fly our flag because in the rocket's red glare and through the bombs bursting in air, God gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. 
we fly our flag, remembering that our national anthem is the only anthem that ends with a question and a challenge. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. We fly our flag because it's the most recognizable in the world. And if you've been subjugated and persecuted and driven out of your land by tyrannical men and their regimes, it's the prettiest damn flag you'll ever see. If you've ever been a prisoner in a tyrannical country, it's the most beautiful flag you'll ever remember. We fly our flag in our neighborhoods, on our cars, on our homes, and even on our clothes, because liberty never goes out of style, folks, and we're the coolest people wearing it. We fly our flag, and the colors can be seen all across the country. It serves as both a symbol of pride and a symbol of warning to any and all, at home or abroad, that we shall not be tread upon, that we are free people. And if you seek to subjugate these free people, you better bring your A game. You're still going to lose that fight, but you're going to need to bring your A game. It serves as a promise to each person, a promise to our children, and a promise from man to man and woman to woman that we shall not fail or fall in service to each other so that freedom may ring all across our country from the rugged mountaintops to the backwoods of country and county and all across the fruited plains to the shining seas. It is the shining beacon in the city of tomorrow atop that hill. But right now, I'm flying my flag because fuck you. You don't like it? Take a fast boat out of here and paddle your ass back to your country. You know, the one that didn't inspire you enough to fly your flags there like we do here. Nobody's making songs in the top five charts about a non-flag waving, whining, throwing their people into camps and arresting their people for posting on Facebook Australia. You know why? Because they can't try that in a small town here. And they can't do that in America. And we're proud of that. Watch our flags fly and ask yourself, why aren't I that proud of my country that I have to bitch about Americans in their own country flying their flags? I'll tell you what, lady, get a ticket out or shut the fuck up. Okay? And that's all I got to say about that. Well, folks, that's all I have for now. And since I work for a living, you're going to have to wait a while for the next episode of The Last Stand, starring your perpetually pissed off but optimistic paragon of patriotism, Wild Bill of the Wild Bill fame. But don't worry. Dry your eyes. I'll be back in October to render my righteous rhetoric for your reception. From the Carolina Command Center, down on the ground with all of you, right here in the good old USA. Now, I'm not sure what we're going to get into in the next episode, but you can be sure that we're going to be digging into issues of the day, okay? We're going to talk about some of the goings-on in my county here. We're going to talk about our schools. Uh, We're going to talk about our kids and the rise of their parents. And we're definitely going to be talking about the coming to Jesus that Democrats are going to get in 2024, okay? Uh, We're going to talk about some of the things that we've seen on the horizon in my county and all across America. And... um, 
I don't know why, but I'm kind of feeling the need to talk about some things that aren't so political in nature. I have no idea what that's going to be about, but it's going to be entertaining, as per usual. Folks, we're going to talk about anything and everything, because as you know, uh, it's important to you, which means it's important to me, because we're fighting for this republic. We are the republic. So until the next episode, keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight. Redemption and recovery is around the bend, folks, and the left can't keep good people down. And as long as we keep fighting, our next president will keep fighting for us. That's right. Donald Trump ain't giving up, so we ain't giving up. And come 2024, we're going to send a message to those rich men north of Richmond, a message that they're going to hear loud and clear. Resist the tyrants. Reject their lies, rebel against their tyranny, remove the corrupt, and restore the republic.